Welcome in, everybody. Episode 54 of Four Score the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. It is Tuesday, April 6th. We're recording. Podcast will be out tomorrow, uh, April 7th. And we have a special guest on the program. Going to chat with him for a little bit. He's a buddy of Rob's from Twitter. This is not necessarily my forte. This is more of Rob's interest, but I know he's plugged them on the podcast before. DJ Shrum runs a Twitter account, Budget Breaks STL, has a large following on there. I know that card breaks when it comes to playing cards um, or uh, sports playing cards, I should say. It's really took off since the pandemic started. Um, with everyone in quarantine, everyone kind of picked up a new hobby. Rob's been really into it. And so we figured we have him on tonight. I know Rob has plugged him a couple times, figured we have him on and chat with him for a little bit. So DJ, welcome to the podcast, bro. How are you? Man, I am excellent, guys. Thank you so much for having me on, man. What an honor. Appreciate well, you. Well, Rob, you, you're, like I said, this is your forte. Um, so why don't you and DJ do a little bit of talking about what exactly goes on on Budget Breaks STL? Because this is outside my realm. Yeah, I kind of feel like I got to Venmo him because anytime I have any sort of communication with him, I'm always Venmoing him some sort of money. <laughs> so also, it's cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. My wife, and my wife, my wife is funny. She, she goes, are you ripping again? I said, no, I'm not ripping. We break. It's called breaking. I said, so we're not ripping nothing. No, we don't want nothing ripped. We want to break. Listen, I, full disclosure. So I, what Rob was telling me about this a while ago, DJ. And uh-huh. like I said, I had never done it before. So, but I, I gave you a follow on Twitter because I know you plugged our podcast. Rob plugged you on the pod. You plugged the pod on Twitter. So I gave you a follow. I was tuning into one of the breaks and um, I saw $35 per spot. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty nice. And I see there's 24 spots. And I think like 18 of them were taken by you, Rob. I mean, you just went all out on this one. <laughs> so, I mean, I hope it was worthwhile for you. That I'm I hope you pulled some it's an, obs- it's an obsession. It's an obsession. And you know what it is too, DJ? Like, you know, I know a lot of the people you have, um, you know, participating in these breaks, they're doing it because it's not so much a hobby for them, but they're doing it basically because they, they want to try and get, you know, good cards to sell. Yeah. Me, I do it more for a hobby. I'm a yeah. hobby guy. I love to do it for the hobby. I just want to collect the cards. I enjoy it. Put the cards in the sleeves after you send them to me. I got them laid out on my kitchen counter right now, you know, by team and everything. So, so basically what I want to tell you, ask you too, is when did you start this? Because, you know, basically I got in right around, January, I think I started, I started getting involved in this because actually my nephew got me involved because he's good friends. I think I was telling you this with Shinkoff. Oh yeah. With Steven. You said he's one of your OGs. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of my OGs. Yeah. So give us a little background on when you started this, why you started it as far as when your card collecting days yourself personally started. Yeah. Great question. Thanks for asking. Um, so obviously as a youngster, I'm 40, I'll be 41 here in a couple months. So as a youngster in the eighties and nineties, I was into the hobby like everybody when they were mass producing. Um, as I grew up and, and got married and got domesticated, as I call it, I got out of it. And uh, back in 2018, uh, a good friend of mine had never got out of the hobby and was telling me about Shohei Otani. And this, this card was selling for $6,000. And I was like, what? I'd never heard of a $6,000 card, right? And so in 2018, I started buying into MLB Heritage, uh, trying to hit uh, Shohei Otani. And of course, that was Acuna's rookie year. And uh, so that's when I got back into the hobby and I started buying into breaks and participating. Um, 
And then uh, about a year ago, I, I went full bore and decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to actually be the breaker. You know, I'm going to use my business background. I'm going to use my sports background and I'm going to do this thing. We're going to go full bore. And here we are, man, a year later and man, we're roaring. <laughs> well, so you got a pretty big following on Twitter here. You know, I'm looking at your page. You got over 2,500 followers on Twitter. And yeah. uh, it seems like whenever you do a live stream of the breaks, I've tuned in for a couple, even though I haven't participated. And it seems like the chat is lively. You're interacting with everybody. So it seems like everyone who participates has a really good time. So for anyone who's listening, you know, like I said before, Rob has plugged you a few times, but I guess if you don't know the person, it's a random Twitter account, you're probably thinking, yeah, whatever. But you're on the podcast now. So why don't you just explain to everybody how does a, a typical card break work on your page? Yeah, great question. Uh, thanks for asking that. So a typical card break, um, a couple different ways. What uh, t- traditionally people will sell, if there's football, there's 32 football teams, they will sell 32 teams at 32 prices. When I got into it a year ago, um, I was very committed. You know, the price was escalating and, and I was genuinely committed to get everybody into the action for cheap. You know, I used to call it pizza money because back in the day we used to do it for pizza money, but the cost is starting to climb and we're kind of getting out of pizza zone, right? We're kind of getting into dinner money. Yeah. <laughs> but, get into, yeah. Get into flame uh, and yon territory. Now. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, the cost of the cards just continue to escalate week after week. Um, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a platform and I wanted to take the best teams available that everybody was chasing, right. That people were paying premium dollar for and completely take them off the board and randomize them so everybody had a fair shot of getting them without spending $230, right? I'm married, I got three kids. And and I was that guy chasing that and and you know, having my wife yell at me <laughs> for chasing, you know, $900 and getting $200 in cards. And so I had to kind of slow it down a little bit and um and I wanted to create create kind of that magic and give everybody that chance on what I would call pizza money, right? To hit a $500 card for $35. Um, and, and it was my, my, um, commitment of basically, Hey, even if we strike out and we suck and we don't get any cards, it was 35, 40 bucks, right? We lost the pizza money. We didn't lose the car payment. Um, we're not going to get into a big, you know, squabble with our, with our significant other. Um, and we're going to have a good time. You know, that's the other thing too, is we've got a community that, um, everybody enjoys each other. We chat, we have a good, lively environment. Um, and it's, it's like, I tell people the, the hobby is like one big giant family. And then within this giant family are these small pockets of these other families. Um, and it's just, man, it's exciting. It's fun. It's, it's a, it's a blast. So, yeah, and I'm, this, I'm, I'm blessed, man, beyond my wildest dreams to do what this, I do for a living. There's a lot of good people in your community with this, you know, that I've learned of. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's more of a testament to you for who you are as a human being and your personality and your character, because you keep it so light. And you're so real and authentic. That's the best part of you. And you're trustworthy. And, you know, when when new people come onto the breaks, Andrew, too, you know, when people like, you know, I'm new to this, we all say the same thing. DJ's the best. He's reputable. You know, no BS from him or anything. So it's a testament to you that everybody feels that way about you. And when you're in these breaks with people, everybody's rooting for each other. And yeah. I think we had we had one jackass a couple of weeks ago, right? With yeah. the Justin Herbert auto and the yeah. threads. And, you know, he's yeah. made some yeah. snarky comments and jackass. But whatever. Yeah. It was yeah. what it was. But otherwise, everybody else are all they all root for each other. Everybody yeah. congratulates each other. If you get a good card. And this guy, Andrew, has got the proverbial four leaf clover up his ass. <laughs> he's pulled Dan Marino and Drew Brees autographs in the same Basically the nice. same box. Was that the same box? Yeah. The same night. It was the same night. Yeah. Same right. night. 
Yep. Then he pulled a Sandy Koufax Sa- autograph last week. And the next day, Sandy Koufax, yeah. And then yeah. Derek Jeter. <laughs> and then Derek Jeter a couple of nights ago where I just wanted to quit. I was like, <laughs> all right, what's the sense of going anywhere? What are we going to do? We're not going to do any better than pulling Derek Jeter no. autograph. No, nope. we're done. We're done. <laughs> we're done. That's great. I was, I was literally, I was very happy because I'm not a, yeah. I'm not a bitter person. I'm happy for people. Yeah. When, when I got off that break, I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so none of them went to you. No, no, none of them went yeah, to of me. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we call you, we call you the mush. Yeah. Of course they didn't go to you. And, and the baseball, <laughs> yeah, the baseball is more difficult than the football because the baseball are very limited cards because he does. Yeah. Right. Explain the baseball to us. Yeah. So, so baseball, um, you know, in, in football, I kind of have a, a mix of what's called retail and hobby. Hobby is only available, um, you know, at, at a card shop and then retail is your, your retail stuff. So I have a mix of both retail and hobby uh, to try to neutralize that price and keep it affordable. In baseball, retail baseball is is is, in my opinion, it's it's not trash. It's just tough. You know, it, the, the hits are very, very few and far between. And so in the baseball world, I typically only buy hobby, you know, it's the higher end stuff. Um, there's fewer cards, but there are more hits. And, and that's really what, you know, I think we're all about, right. We want the memorabilia card. We want the piece of Jersey. We want the autograph. Um, not so much the base card. So. And how about the guy last night in, in his football break last night? Now what he started doing was a live snake draft, Andrew. So in <laughs> other words, what you do is you claim, you claim a spot. Right. Out of all the, the, the 32 NFL teams, you're claiming your own spot there yeah. and you just claim a number. And then whatever number comes up with the team next to the number you claim, that's who that's the team you get. So this guy, everybody's after Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, pretty much. That's it. It's really Herbert or Burrow. That's yeah. what everybody's yeah. looking for. So anybody, anybody that knows they <laughs> if they were in the number one spot, right, they're in the number one spot. <laughs> They're going to take either the Chargers or the Bengals, most likely the, the Chargers because of, of Herbert. You know, the Burrow injury probably put him puts him second. So two and Hurts usually go three or four. Either way, three, four. So this kid, first time in your break, right, DJ? This first, kid first, first, first timer. He pulls the number one spot and he takes Miami. And we're all like, holy shit, he took Miami. <laughs> the guy who's number two is like, oh, Yes. I no, had to, like, wow. dude, Rob, Rob, I had to hold back, bro. I had to hold back as the breaker. I wanted to bust up laughing, but uh, like legit, you know, it, it's like doing a live baseball draft, fantasy draft where you're taking yes. your players, right? And the guy's got the number one overall pick and he doesn't take Mike Trout. He takes, um, you know, Paul DeYoung, <laughs> the Cardinals, right. right? You're like, what the hell? Right. Same deal. He takes the Dolphins. Yeah, he and takes hits the Dolphins. The, and hits two a tag autograph jersey. <laughs> this guy pulls a two a tag autograph jersey for him out of a jersey box. And we're all like, this guy's a genius. <laughs> 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 he, became, he became a mock that made it to a genius. It was unreal. Uh, all right, all so, in 20 minutes. So here's what here's what I'm gonna do. Okay. I have some questions, and I'm sure if there's people who are listening to the pod who have never done something like this before, I'm sure they probably have some questions as to how these things work. So I'm going to go through. This is this is kind of a this is a rapid fire, if you will, Rob. I'm going to just run through a we couple. We do rapid of, fires on here, DJ. We do rapid fires. So it's I'm going to run through. I'm like going to run through a couple yeah. of questions for you, just about the logistics of the way it works. Yes. And you just give some answers and some info for anybody out there who might be interested in this sort of thing. Okay. Yes. So number one. If you're new to the card breaks, 
I know we kind of alluded to it a little bit. Uh, what should you be looking for as far as value in a card? What you're looking for in value in a card, in my opinion, you know, everybody's looking for the rookie cards, right? That's, that's the hottest thing everybody's chasing, whether it's baseball or it's football, we're looking for the, the rookie, the hot rookie. Everybody's trying to get that Tom Brady card so they can sit on it for 20 years and sell it for $30,000, right? I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, the Mike Trouts of the world, the, the dominant forces of their sports, the LeBron James that, you know, that's what you're looking for. And you're looking for um, variation type cards, not your base card, you know, something that's got, you know, a, a different type of print on it, something that's got a piece of Jersey, um, something that's got a piece of memorabilia on it, an autograph, you know, that's the, the, the rarity. That's what drives this whole thing. Okay. How often do you do breaks? Uh, <laughs> I typically break every Wednesday through Saturday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That being said, about the last three weeks, I've broke almost every single night. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's coming every back night for more. Now. Every, every single night, night man, yeah. I'm breaking. This okay. So next question. Yes. Um, so you break a card, you win a card. How do you get it? Great question. Um, so I post it on my Twitter site. I ship every Friday and every Monday consistently like clockwork without question. Um, if you break on a Sunday night, your card ships out first thing Monday, mid afternoon. That's just how it goes. Um, if you break on a Tuesday, it's not shipping until Friday. Um, but I've got a team of folks that, that work for me. Um, they do a killer job. You know, they sort stuff, they pack stuff, they ship stuff. And, uh, we move up almost a thousand packages a month. It's pretty, wow. pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yep. Like I said, he's got a, you got a big following on Twitter and he's got, he's got a very more, big so. following. He's got a, and he's, he's given me some followers, but Although I got to say, when I when I first started with you, you had about 1,900 followers. And then when I started now, as of today, you're like up to 2,600. Now, when you started following, when I started doing your breaks, you started giving me some followers. I went from nine to 26. So I think you owe me a couple of more thousand people here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you, I'll get you dialed in. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, well, we've yeah. been talking about it. Yeah, I mean. You, yeah. it's baby steps for you, Rum. Yeah. Well, look, it's gonna take I, I you was... a little longer to get to twenty five hundred. I don't even. I mean, I've had my Twitter for a couple of years now. I think I'm only at about three hundred, four hundred. Yeah. I, I'm older so, than you guys, obviously, but you know, I started collecting cards. I got card collections upstairs in storage that I have from the seventies, and I have unique yeah. sort of cards. And I collected. You know, I have some basketball. I got a lot of football. I got hockey. I got baseball. I just never took care of them the way anybody anticipated yeah. this yeah. whole thing would blow up yeah. one day. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I went into the seventies and eighties collecting cards. I probably stopped somewhere around the mid nineties. And then it started coming back again where mm -hmm. I was going to card shows every weekend, you know, the local churches and local schools in Brooklyn or Staten Island, I would go to, and we'd have, you know, all sorts of shows, but then it started becoming a lot of fraud getting involved in the card industry around, yeah. I guess it was around, you know, the early 2000s, maybe mid 2000s, right around there, 2006, seven, eight. And it kind of just went kaplunk. And I was like, hey, I'm not going to deal with, you know, with fraud and crap like this. I'm doing this for a hobby just for fun. Yeah. You know, if I make money on it one day, wonderful. But, you know, I had rookie cards going all the way back. Mike Schmidt, you know, I got Hank Garen cards, Willie Mays cards. I got all that. Yeah. And I still never did anything with them because I just love to have them. So, yeah, you yeah. know, one day I don't have children, me and my wife, but I have nieces, nephews. It, you know, I'll collect it. I'll take care of it and it'll go to them, you yeah. know. So I'm not really, you know, I, I'm not into it so much. And, you know, one, one thing I wanted to ask you in your opinion, 
Don't you think people are a little too spontaneous to sell these cards this quickly? Like you get a Justin Herbert rookie, a Joe Burrow rookie. Don't you want to sit on that for a while? I see that people look to maybe sell these things so quickly instead of trying to build up its value. And hopefully one day if they become the next Patrick Mahomes, the next Tom Brady, you know, where mm-hmm. you, the value really just skyrockets. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I do. I think they do sell them too fast, but I also think there's, there's so many different types of, of customers and, and people in the hobby, like what you said, right? You've got your true authentic collectors and hobby enthusiasts, right? That collect. You've got your flipping type of people that are just getting in there trying to hit that home run card and flip it and make, you know, money and keep doing that whole game. Um, and then you've got your casual, your casual fan that's just getting into it. Um, but yeah, I, I, for me, it's a, it's the long-term play, especially for the, the high quality guys. I've got a very small window of guys I collect. Um, otherwise I'd have just gazillions of cards because <laughs> I go through tons, but, uh, but I don't know. And I also, Rob, I think maybe it's, it's, I, I think there's still people, you know, and, and I'll be honest, let's, let's call it spade a spade. It can't be sustainable. It cannot roll at this rate of speed forever. Nothing lasts forever. Right. right. And, you know, my wife and I talk about that. I mean, this is what I do full time for a living every day. And it's like, you know, every day I got to check myself Well, man, is this really real? Can I do this for the next 20 years? Is this for real? <laughs> so, um, but, you know, in saying that, I, I think that it will be sustainable for the, for the good foreseeable future. I think when you look at the type of talent coming into these leagues in baseball, basketball, and football, right? The Mike Trouts of the world, the Joe Adels of the world, the LeBron James of the world, the Joe Burrows of the world, the Herberts of the world, uh, the Lawrences of the world. When these guys get into the league and that card is printed, they want it. They, right. and, and, and the way the manufacturers are now limiting the production of them, it keeps that, that drive and that, 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 that fascination there. Right. Um, and so, like, and I've told people, look, I think it will die down. It'll lose some steam, but, you know, there's an avenue for everybody. You, there's wrestling cards. There's, there's uh, a garbage pail kids cards. There's baseball cards. And, and I'm going to tell there's... you something. Now, <laughs> that like, you mentioned, now that you mentioned the wrestling cards, I got friends of mine that are avid wrestling fanatics. I mean, nuts. Yeah. Oh, a good friend they Tommy were, they, is one of them. And, and they, and they, a couple of them were saying to me, hey, why don't your guy do wrestling cards? I was like, <laughs> Listen, I'm not making him do wrestling cards. Take it easy. Yeah, I'm don't, not even don't twist him. his arm to do I something. Said I, asked no, him, no, no. I said I asked him about hockey, and he basically said, "Hey, there's no interest." <laughs> right. Well, I had a, I had a, I had one question because I know when in the intro when we first started the episode, I said, and this was coming. This was actually coming from Rob when he was first explaining to me what these breaks were, and this was a yeah. couple months ago, and he told me from his perspective that you know people being interested in these car breaks really took. Uh, took off during quarantine when the pandemic first started. So from your perspective and with your business, did you see a steady growth as soon as the pandemic started? Or was that just, you know, uh, hearsay between people that we know who gained interest? No, there's no doubt the during the quarantine, it started, obviously, because you think about it. I mean, people weren't able to go anywhere. They were just looking for an outlet. Right. And and a lot of old guys, I say old guys, but guys like me that were 40 and 50 and like Rob's age in the 60s, because I told my father in law, I said, my average customer is probably about 28 to about 65. I mean, that's my wheelhouse and my customer base. Um, I don't have a lot of young guys, um, but um, it, it started climbing. My business never like I didn't fully start becoming a breaker until about September of last year. And I mean, you know, we talk about the followers. I had 400 followers in December. The explosion has just happened in the last really five, four or five months. I mean, it's wow, just, okay. 
it, it has just been absolute mayhem. I mean, it's like I said, man, seriously, absolutely blessed and honored, but it has been chaos. <laughs> now, now let's, Nuts. let's just, let's just call a spade a spade here. Yeah. Now, Rob, you always get mad at me. Well, I'm not really mad because you're playing around, but you always get mad at me for bringing up the H, right? And you're 57. Yes. I don't know if you caught that. DJ just tacked on a couple of years. He said in the 60s. So I, I don't you get mad at me anymore. I, I was thinking he meant in, in the 60s as far as being born in the 60s. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's what he meant. Uh, he gave you a good out, I'll give but him, I don't know I'll if give that's him what that. he meant. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, hey, Andrew, Andrew's an age-discriminatory bastard. He discriminates yeah. against AJ. Listen, so, I don't, you know. I don't discriminate. You just set yourself up for the age jokes. I just keep them coming, and I we get feedback on this podcast. Everybody loves how I come at your neck, so I got to give the people what they want. It's simple as that. Um, so I'm two all about more, the laughs. I had two That's more awesome. questions for you, DJ. Yeah. What Number you got? one, uh, what's the price range for these breaks? What's the what's the minimum entry? What's the maximum entry? Yeah, good question. Uh, typically, I would say. Pretty much 90% of the time, I kind of live right around that $35 to $45 range. And okay. with that, with that, you're going to get two football teams. Um, you're going to pick a team yourself, and then you're going to get a second one at random, right? You're, I'm going to use a, a random program on online called random.org. And uh, basically, I sell the 16 slots, and then I random the other 16 football teams, including the four the four best teams, the Chargers, Bengals, uh, Dolphins, and, and uh, Eagles. <laughs> Okay. And then now every now, but now every now and again, like on the weekends, I do what's called main events, right? I started doing that about a month ago. Oh, that's awesome. The main events are great. (laughs) So I kind of, I kind of load some, some high dollar boxes together and, you know, we go chasing some, some monster cards and we've hit some, some serious eaters. (laughs) So now if there's people that are out there that are, that are looking to get involved, this is something that interests them. uh, I'm sure a question on their mind would be, well, hey, with guys like Trevor Lawrence about to come into the league, that would be a card that I'm after. So when did those cards start going into production? Is it immediately after those guys are drafted, they start making those cards? Yeah, typically, obviously, at the combine is when the, you know, they'll start getting photos and start doing production. Obviously, with COVID, it's you know, changed things the past year. Um, and the other thing that's driving this thing, not to sidestep your question, is, is the scarcity of finding cards. You know, the average consumer cannot find cards anywhere. I mean, you cannot find them. You can't walk into a Walmart or Target across the country and find them because flippers are gobbling them up and, and reselling them. So, um, you know, what I do is allow a, a, an affordable entry to get into some cards. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of how the situation is. It's, it's typically in that it's a buy one, get one free. So now you have the, you have the, the select football you said coming up this week. Yeah, so football hobby uh, select comes out tomorrow. So, so what's the allure with the select now? Explain that. Uh, select is just a super high end quality football card. I mean, it's it's literally top of the line quality. It's 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 more expensive than optic. It's more expensive than mosaic. It's more expensive than prism. It's the top of the line. It's um, it's the Cadillac, if you will, of the football card world. Okay, so I need to replenish my bank account then. Uh, this week. <laughs> so, Rob, so do I. That's why I was selling. I was, I was selling stuff yesterday. Trust me, I said this stuff is gonna send me to the poorhouse. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, yeah, listen, no, I'm looking forward to that. But sure. so any, so anyway, two things here. Yeah, we we got to get your wife to do a break here. You you, nah, I'm pushing Mama Shram to to do a break. Trust we, me. We I'm want his her. wife to do a break. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, what is she camera shy? She doesn't want to get involved or does she not know anything about it? It's yeah, I think it's both. It's it's camera shy. And then now, yeah, I've got such a mad following, man. She's embarrassed. You know what I mean? I said, hey, don't worry about it. You just open the cards. I'll do the talking. I got plenty of stuff to say. <laughs> I never run out of words. You just open the cards. You look you at only me. See his, you only see his hands and his fingers. He never yeah. has the camera pointing at himself when he's doing these breaks. It's only his, his right. fingers and hands pretty much. Right. The only time he turned it around where we seen him was the Derek Jeter autograph and the Tua jersey last night. Yeah, yeah. That's when he turned it. And now I mean, on, pod- and now on the podcast. Now when we're recording yeah. the podcast. Now we're we on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. 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 The man behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> That's right, man. Well, That's I'll, right. I'll, I'll tell everybody this. Now, again, like I said, I, I, I haven't participated in any of these breaks. Um, but when Rob was telling me all about this and, and when you, you plugged us on your page and everything, so I figured I'd, I'd tap in and, and, I'd, and I'd watch one. And for anybody out there that has concerns about, you know, doing a card break, giving money to someone that you don't know, because those are valid concerns. I get it. Um, DJ, he's a good guy. And you're probably asking, well, you've never done it. How do you know? Well, first of all, (laughs) Rob has told me all about him. But second of all, I'll tell a quick story. One night when I tuned in, you were doing a a draft um, where everyone was randomized in order. You know, someone had the first pick. They took the Dolphins, right? Like you were talking about before, something like that. And one person was on the clock to pick their team. It was, they were like the third or fourth pick and they weren't looking at their phone. I guess they weren't in the chat. So, you know, what does DJ do? He gives them the best team available in his eyes. He said, I can't jip this guy just because he's not answering the comments. And he gave him whatever the best team available was as far as, you know, value for cards. So that's the type of guy you're dealing with. He didn't have to do something like that. And he did. So although I don't participate, you know, something like that stood out the first time I was watching the live stream. So anyone who has any concerns, you shouldn't have any concerns because that's the way he treats the people who are, uh, you know, who are taking part in the break. So he's a yeah, good guy. No, zero concerns about that. That's yeah. not even a question, you know, and it's, and I tell you, it's funny because there's so many times, especially on a maybe a Friday or a Saturday night where I'm out and I'm out at a bar or whatever restaurant, having a few cocktails. I'll see, you know, a break open up and I'm just like, yeah, what the hell I'm in. You know, and then what you can do is the next day, the replay is on his Twitter feed and you can watch the replay. Yeah. So, you know, because yeah. sometimes you sometimes I'll be getting cards and I'm like, wow, I got that card. I didn't even realize. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a yeah. shock to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rob, you what's know, the best card that you pulled? Uh, the best card, I'll be honest, the best card I've pulled has probably been the last 30 days of my life. I mean, the Derek Jeter card and Koufax were like one and one A for me. I mean, I'm a diehard baseball. That's my, my absolute diehard passion is baseball. And Sandy Koufax is a legend. And Derek Jeter, I grew up watching and idolizing him. And what um, about you? What about you, Rob, personally? What cards, cards have you I got? Pulled, well, I tell you what, I got a Larry Walker autograph uh, card, um, which was a chrome black. Yep. I pulled the Cam Akers autograph. I had a Jonathan Taylor autograph. I got a Chase Claypool autograph. Haven't hit the big, big one yet. And I'm still waiting, but, you know. Listen, you got to be lucky. We're not, we're not all like Heather, right? DJ? Yeah. Holy cow. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. She, no kidding. She hasn't yeah. been around the last couple of breaks. I hadn't seen her in them. So yeah, she's been out the last couple of days. Um, but you know, Hey, to, to, t- to tap on though, about your customers, if people want to get into breaks, I tell people all the time, don't feel any pressure. You can go onto my Twitter page. You can jump in live and just watch me and hang out and get a feel for how we operate. Which is what Uh, I did a couple of times. Uh, You can go back back in and look at my Twitter feed. But And at the end of the day, I run a 
it's a totally legitimate business. I mean, I'm a, I'm a legal business. I pay taxes. I got payroll. I mean, you know, so you're going to get taken care of. I can promise you that. I take a, a ton of ton of pride and integrity in my operation, every ounce of it. Right down, well, you right, do down is, to cut, right down to cutting cardboard and putting them in there, right, Rob? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All you got to do is look at the Twitter feeds and you don't see anybody say one thing negative about this man. Not one no. single thing. No. And he just said that Not you were one. in your 60s and you still didn't say a bad thing about him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got That's all you need to know. I got lots of older guys than Rob. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> nothing sacred in here, is it, boys? <laughs> oh, well, no, no. There's nothing sacred. There's like nothing I, sacred. That's like it. You got to have thick skin. Like uh, I said in the beginning of the episode, if you want to give him a follow on Twitter, you don't have to enter the breaks right away. Like he said, the channel is wide open for you to watch the live stream, get a feel for how the break goes, interact with the people that are participating. His Twitter handle is DJ Shrum, S-C-H-R-U-M-2. Uh, and the Twitter name is budget underscore breaks STL. Uh, and like you said, at this point, you're breaking almost every night. So yeah. Anytime, yeah. anytime you're on Twitter, yeah. if you're you know perusing the timeline, uh, he's doing a break. I know since I followed you, I see you doing breaks all the time. I see Rob with eight, nine entries all the time. So, so if well, you know, some, sometimes I want the breaks to happen and, and I'm waiting for people to get into it. And I see an open spot. I'm like, ah, the hell with it. I'm just going to get it. I'll take another team, whatever. And I'm like, DJ, give me this one. Well, you know what? Recently, DJ, there's been a couple of times over the past couple episodes since Rob has really been getting involved in the breaks. There's been a couple of times in episodes. Don't think I haven't noticed, Rob, where I'll say something. And there'll be silence for 10 seconds. And I'm wondering, I'm like, is he not paying attention? And sure enough, he's not paying attention. He's watching your breaks. You're taking my podcast partner away from me and I'm still promoting you here. So listen, uh, I mean, that's so it. Anyway, DJ, I, I was telling Andrew, you're a big Cardinals fan. So yeah. what are you forecasting for them for the 2021 season? Obviously, Nolan Arenado, the big acquisition there, basically got him for nothing. And the Rockets were even nice to pay a salary for you this year. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah. what are you forecasting for your Cardinals this year? Well, I think the Cardinals can. I think they can get the division. The problem with the Cardinals is we've got terrible pitching. You know, behind Jack Flaherty, we just have nothing. A bunch of wet noodles, you know. So um, I think the Cardinals are going to get in the trouble if they can win the division. And I think they'll get buzzed in the playoffs. I mean, that NL East is so freaking stacked. I mean, goodness yeah, it's sakes, a tough man. division. It is stacked. Um, and then you got, you know, the boys out West. It's not, it's not a slouch either. <laughs> so wow, just, Padres might've lost Tatis today. Now he might, that might be a season ender. I, well, I just, just uh, I just saw Jeff passing uh, or John Heyman tweeted while, uh, while we just started the podcast, I got an alert. Uh, he quoted a tweet that says seemingly good news on Tatis. And then Dennis Lynn Padres reporter for the athletic he said a uh, slight labral tearing, which is consistent with the sublic, sub, sub, I don't even know. Sublix, subluxation. I can't even pronounce that word. Yeah. Some kind of shoulder injury. Um, AJ Preller said, overall, the exam today was pretty uneventful. He'll go on the IL. Uh, they'll go to the rest and rehab route and aim for a return in 10 days. 10 mm. days. I don't know about 10 days. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm not sure about it that, but. Looks good on paper. Yeah. 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 Well, you, well we, we saw as Mets fans, we saw a few years ago, a similar injury to Michael Conforto where he swung yep. and missed, went right down and, and he was out for months. Yeah. So I can't yeah. see he's coming back in 10 days. No chance. Yeah. No. Yeah. And well, when you listen, just signed them for 13 years, zero percent chance. Million, yeah. Zero percent chance. They let him come back in 10 days. <laughs> no. Well, I was going to say, you're going to ever on a side of caution for weeks. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. A player of that ilk as young as he is. The only problem yeah. with Tatiso, he's proven to be injury prone now. 
He had the oblique and the hamstring last year. And now with this, you know, you worry about that a little bit when a, when a kid like that, you sometimes just body structure, your muscle structure. And he had a little bit of a shoulder problem from throwing a yeah. ball in spring training too. Yes, just he making did. a routine play, throwing yeah, a first, yes, and he came up with some shoulder soreness. So it's a, a couple of red flags early in his career. Listen, I hope that he, I hope he's back in 10 days because he's probably the most fun player in baseball to watch minus Mike Trout, in my opinion. But yeah. I mean, I, I hope he's back, but I can't see him coming back in 10 days. And like you said, Rob, they're going to err on the side of caution. He's now, in their prized possession. You know, this leads me to a question. Do you see the value of a card plummeting because of injuries? Now, this was a season ended to Tatis, like you had the, the, the devastating knee injury to Burrow, which was a terrible knee injury. Do you see the card values plummet because of a situation like that? Like, let's say Eloy Jimenez this year with the, with the torn peck. Do you cards come down in value because of that? Instantaneously. Instantly. It's unbelievable. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, um, so you were mentioning before on, on a football side how Joe Burrow was one of the prized possessions. So after he went down with the torn ACL, did his car become less valuable immediately? I had thousands tied up in Joe Burrow. I was all in on Joe Burrow. I mean, I was all in on Joe Burrow with some big high-dollar cards. And, man, as soon as that knee injury happened, man, I probably lost, no joke, 50 to 70% value across the board on every card. I mean, just wow. boom, plummeted. Um, cards now, I probably paid six. $700 forward down to around $300. Now, if he if he wow. comes back off the injury and immediately starts performing, will that value oh, come it, back? Yeah, it'll, it'll bounce back 100%, okay. right? 100%. And so like what Rob asked earlier, <clears throat> you've got the the knee-jerk people that they're, they're not willing to wait two or three or four years, right? They're going to unload it today. Let's sell it. I'll take my cash and I'll move on and, and you know, move on. But um, – yeah, those injuries are devastating for the card world. For, well, I mean, for the for the cards, but and it's devastating for the player. But yeah, Tatis, that sucks, man. He he does look a little injury prone early in his career. He does, and, and I tell you, and he's a stud. But yeah, yeah, but that's worrisome. Yep, <clears throat> it's worrisome when a kid has that. All right, DJ, listen, I'll let you get going. We got some breaks we got to get to tonight, brother. Have to. So much, so much. Appreciate you coming on with us. Have you on mm. again that in the future? Again, no problem yeah. because. You're going to be growing and getting bigger because after this draft coming up in the NFL, yeah. with Trevor Lawrence, yep. you got four quarterbacks coming out. You got a big class of wide receivers coming out again. Yep. yep. It's going to yep. explode again. The Trevor Lawrence phenomenon is going to go off the yep. roof, I think. The Lawrence alone will just send it into pandemonium. No, no doubt about no it. No doubt. So you'll have business yep. for a long time. And you'll have my <laughs> business. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I was going to say, you're keeping his busy. You're keeping his employees on payroll right now. <laughs> I tell you, again, I do it because I just love to do it. I'm not doing it because I'm looking to hit a big score and retire early in life. I just love to do it. I, I like yeah. the action. It's yeah. fun. I love to collect as just a hobby. That's yeah. what I like to do. I don't care, you know. So, yeah. you know, but again, this guy is reputable. He's the best out there. He's the best breaker out there. I'm not the only one saying it. There's there's a lot of people saying it. So, Thank you, man. I mean, God bless the community. The breaker community that you have there is tremendous. All good people. All thank good you, people. man. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys like so said, much. It's a testament to you, DJ, man. Thanks All for right, coming thanks. on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on, DJ. And uh, like I said before, his his Twitter account, if you want to get into these breaks, his Twitter account, at DJ Shrum 2 that's Shrum, S-C-H-R-U-M-2, and the Twitter name is Budget underscore Breaks, S-T-L, Breaks every single night. So if you want to get in on the action, or like I said before, just just tune in and, and see what it's all about, interact with the community. 
more than welcome to do that. I've done it on a few occasions and, and it's, and it's a fun thing just to watch. I don't have a dog in the fight. I didn't spend any money on the breaks, but it's a fun thing to watch. I was tuned into that snake draft that Saturday night for about 45 minutes. And yeah, I had fun just watching. Of, there were some times, there were certain times when he's randoming randomizing all the numbers and rolling the dice. And I'm like this, <laughs> <laughs> like I, you know, I got my eyes covered. I'm like, Shit, I don't want to see this. If I don't get the charges of Bengals, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> the Falcons again. <laughs> oh my God. Even my Giants. I'm like, I don't want any Giants. What am I going to do with Giants? And that's, a, and that's a Dominic Smith two run home just, run. Yeah, to give good the Mets good thing they didn't have Dominic Smith in the lineup nice. last night. Yeah, nice. that wouldn't have helped Dominic at all. Smith. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, DJ, all right. listen. Again, thank you, brother. And uh, it's Robbo. Robbo, I got Robo. you, baby. <laughs> Robbo, I got you, man. Hey, All guys, right. appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate you so much. All right. DJ, thank you, buddy. All right. Take it easy, Thank's DJ. Thanks for popping Thank on. Guys. You got All it, man. Bye-bye. All right. So that was DJ Shrum. Again, Budget Breaks STL. Follow him on Twitter, DJ Shrum2. Uh, listen, if Rob says he's reputable, and like I said, tuning he, in, seeing what he reputable. did for that one. Uh, that, I mean, that story is basically it. I mean, the one thing I saw him do for that guy who wasn't at his phone when it was his and, time to pick a team, that's just a perfect did it, example. He, he did. He did it last night. He did it again last night. He does it all the time. Whenever it's the, it's like almost like a fantasy draft of teams where you 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 pick your you know your slots whatever, and then he randomizes and rolls the dice on his computer. However many times the random random organizer tells him to roll them, and you know whatever spot you wind up, you get the number one spot. You pick your team. Number two next. You know, it's like a fantasy draft almost. So, and then when it comes to somebody slotting and not around, he gives them the best team that he thinks is available out there. So he's not going to screw somebody. He'll never do that. That guy's as good as they come, man. It, for a guy I never met in my life, and I was only introduced to him because of my nephew and my buddy Chad that, you know, were breaking with him. Um, they had told me about it, and I kind of found my way around it. They were trying to explain it to me, but you know me. I was First of all, I was new to Twitter. I'm not into all these Twitter feeds and all this crap going on. So I was definitely confused at the beginning as to how I had to do this, but I found my way and it was easy and it was just a lot of fun. And if anybody's into collecting cards again, he's the guy to, he's the guy to see. He's the guy to go to for sure. All right. So let's get into uh, the crux of what this episode was going to be about. A lot of stuff to cover. Um, Obviously Sam Darnold, there's been a lot of speculation as to what his fate would be. And we got our definitive answer yesterday as he was traded to the Carolina Panthers. Jets get three draft picks in return. So we'll discuss the Sam Darnold trade, what that means for the Jets moving forward, what it means for Darnold moving forward in his career. Uh, Baseball season is here, man. Mets started their season last night, three-day layoff because obviously the Nationals had the the COVID issue last week. So the opening series against the Nats was canceled, but uh, the Mets opened up against the Phillies, lost a tough one last night, but they're up 2 nothing now thanks to a Dom Smith home run. Oh, Dom, uh, well, Dom Smith hit a homer? Yeah, two-run homer. Yeah. Oh, oh, he hit a homer. Oh, yeah, God. he, so he they did. Let, they let him play tonight. They they did let him play tonight. Oh, yeah. okay. They let yeah. him play. Oh, mm-hmm. that was nice. Yeah, they put him that in was, the line. That was nice. Yeah. You're, you're arguably your best hitter on the team, and he sits opening day. That yes. made a lot of sense. Yep. And uh, Rangers are, are in action right now. Uh, they're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, fighting and clawing, trying to keep themselves in the playoff conversation. Uh, Panarin has scored. Zabanajad has scored. Blackwell has scored. Who scored the fourth one, Rob? Uh, just had that. Had, had the oh, Strom! Oh, your best friend Strom. Yeah. Yeah. Strome. Okay. So they're I up can't say. Well, you know what? I still, 
Listen, defensively, he still sucks. He still can't win a faceoff, but he has been scoring. So I got. He has been scoring. Yeah, his offense has been very good, but he's still very lazy defensively. And but I, you know, I think we should let's start. You know, look, we discussed. We haven't discussed the Mets thing all that much, and 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 it was a bit of an abomination that first of all, Dominic Smith doesn't even start that game, Andrew. We we were both in lockstep with that because as soon as the lineup came out, you called me, and you know, I had seen the lineup too, and I was like, what? They're starting Kevin Pillar, and not only are they starting him, but they're leading him off. Where does this come from? You know, and Andrew, you got to wonder: is this is this a collaboration? Ooh, another big word. Is this a collaboration between the manager and the analytics department, along with the general manager, to say, okay, we're going to hit Pillar first. We're going to play him. We're not going to play Dominic Smith. I don't know what analyst D.D. Gregorius just goes deep and the Phillies cut into the Mets lead two to one. I don't really see how any analytics would point to that being a, a, a good idea. Um, look, Dom Smith is not the best left fielder. We talked about that in the offseason, right? But with no D.H., his bat is too good to leave him out of the lineup. So he's got to be your left fielder. You know, they're infatuated with Nimmo. I know I'm a little bit bigger of a fan of Nimmo than, than you are, Rob. But at the end of the day, he, he's not a bona fide star must play starter, uh, but the Mets seem to be infatuated with him. So he's going to play. Um, but, you know, they were scheduled to face Max Scherzer on opening day. And when the season was pushed back and they open up against Philly and they're facing a lefty, I figured maybe the lineup would be different. I was thinking to myself, maybe Nimmo sits and maybe Pilar gets to start over Nimmo, but that wasn't the case. Pilar gets to start over Dom Smith, which, which I don't understand. And look, I get it. Lefty on lefty matchup. Dom Smith can hit both lefties and righties. He's like McNeil. I'm not worried about them against the lefty. And look, it's it's not like they had more confidence in Nimmo to hit the lefty than they did Dom because they obviously didn't have too much confidence in Nimmo because all offseason they've been talking about how Nimmo is their leadoff guy and they had him hitting seventh last night. Why would you have him hitting seventh if you thought that he could hit left-handed pitching? Well, I'll tell you something, Andrew. To me, I think the decision is Nimmo with Dominic Smith. I, I mean, obviously, they want the defense in center field. Fine. Who's the better hitter between Nimmo and Dominic Smith? And it's clearly Dominic Smith. It's not clearly. Even it's not, not even, even close. close. No. And is Nimmo that much of an upgrade in left field? He botched the ball the other yesterday. I mean, you know, Hernandez and Darling were saying it was a wonderful effort. To me, it was a, it, it was an effort, but it was a ball that should have been caught even with the effort. So, but is he that much of an upgrade in left field over Dominic Smith? Slightly, but not to the fact where, you know, Dominic Smith has to sit and then no, I would argue it's a, it's actually the opposite. It's Smith is such an upgrade offensively over right. Nimmo that he should play no matter what. It offsets the defensive part of it. And then when he has a chance to rectify this Rojas, and this is where I said it, I said it last week when the when the question was posed by you, who who is the manager on a hot seat? I, I wasn't taking a lazy route and just saying, let me take a local guy. You know, I know certain, you know, guys were Bruce and Tommy and you, you guys were saying Aaron Boone. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that was, I'm fine with that. I, I said Rojas because Rojas to me proved nothing last year. He didn't look like he had a feel for the game. He didn't look like he knew how to manage the bullpen. And last night was the same exact way. When you know, you got the Grom on a pitch count and it was supposedly a hundred pitches before the game had even started, that's what was said. He's on a hundred pitch count, Degrom. He was at seventy-seven in the sixth inning. When you know your bullpen is a question mark, even with the acquisition of Trevor May, it's a question mark. You do not have Lugo there. Without Lugo there, you don't have that other cushion. 
So you know there's, there's, a, there's a question mark in your bullpen with a 2 nothing lead, the bases loaded in the fourth inning and one out, and they had to bring in the right-handed Kinsler in this situation who has to pitch to three batters. So they can't even they can't even switch out Kinsler to bring in a lefty once the Mets announced the lefty Dominic Smith to come in the game. Why wouldn't you just put Dominic Smith in and pinch hit for him and pinch hit for Pilar, put Dominic Smith in this game against the righty with the bases loaded and try and blow the game open. And if you want a defensive center fielder, you have Albert Amora sitting on the bench. You could put Albert Amora in center field late in the game if you have a lead like they did anyway, and you could take Dominic Smith out and then switch Nimmo over to center field from center, over to left field from center field. I, I, it was so egregious, that era, I, I tell you, and you, you looked at Twitter all day long today, all the social media, everybody said the same thing. Where the hell was Dominic Smith in that position? It was the fourth inning. It was the right spot. Bases loaded one out. Blow the game open. What happens? He leaves Pilar in and he hits it. He gets induced into a double play. And you knew it was going to happen. The writing was on the wall. And they went to commercial break. And the whole time they're from commercial break, I'm saying to my father, I'm like, this is a no-brainer. Smith has got to come in, but he's not. I said, but he's not. I had had no confidence that he was going to make that move, even though I thought it was a no-brainer, easiest decision you could have made. And, And the worst part about it, and I know I talked to you off the air today about this, is that when they asked Rojas the question after the game, it seemed to me like he was blindsided. He said, yeah, yeah, we discussed it. His facial expression said the whole thing. That was never discussed. I'm telling you right now, it was never discussed. He had no idea because he gave some half-assed answer about how they were concerned about the defense. Last time I checked, you can't win a baseball game unless you score runs. You had an opportunity to blow that game open. Bases loaded, one out, and and your best hitter, your best pure hitter besides Francisco Lindor coming up to the plate and Dom Smith. But you left Pilar in and he grounds into a double play. And, and, And to me... I understand, you know, the analytics. I'm not the huge, I'm not a huge fan of analytics, but I understand that's the way that this sport is going. I understand that you might want to play matchups at certain points. I, I get all that. But in my opinion, on opening day, screw the matchups. Put your best team on the field. It's opening exactly. day. Put your yeah. best team on the field because you know what? You want to put the best defensive team on the field? You, you're probably going to have Guillaume play third base and get it instead of J.D. Davis. But you know what? That's not what they did. Why? It's opening day. Put your best lineup out there. And J.D. Davis gives you a better bat than Luis Guillaume. The same could be said for Dominic Smith, and Dominic Smith was, wasn't in the lineup. So it, it, this, the season didn't even start yet, and I already had a bad taste in my mouth about the lineup he puts out there. Then Dom Smith doesn't get pinch hit. They don't pinch hit Dom Smith for Pilar in the fourth inning. My blood starts to boil a little bit. The whole DeGrom debacle. I mean, that, that, that just put me over the edge. Those are three egregious mistakes in the first game of the season. Now, Rob and I are on record. We were all for Rojas coming back this year because you can't fairly judge someone based off a fluke 60-game season. But that doesn't mean that he didn't come with some, right. with some questions. Well, that's why I said he should be on, he'd be on the hot seat because he, he proved nothing last year. But again, in a shortened season – a weird season like that. You had Stroman opt out, you know, so. Right. You, know, you, they, you give him the benefit of the doubt to come back. Which is fine. But, but that doesn't mean night, he's not under a microscope. You know what it showed to me again last night? He has no feel for the game. In game. He has no feel for it. It was almost like he said, I can't make this move right now. It's the, it's too early in the game. The Rangers just scored again. 5-1. Lafreniere. Beautiful goal. You know, and, and 
it just showed he had no feel for the game because if you're thinking ahead and you're saying, I've got to go to this bullpen. All right. I, this bullpen is still a question mark. All right. Yeah. To Trevor May. I, Aaron Lupa, I could care less about. And obviously when he came in, it was a disaster, but you should say, listen, I've got to do everything in my power to try and win the game now. Let's win it now here in the fourth inning. Let's not sit on a two nothing lead. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. I, no, I tell you, that game was in, it was infuriating that game. Infuriating. And listen, I, I, I always say this, right? And I always, you know, I laugh when I listen to talk radio and, and, I, and I said the same thing, you know, it might come off a little bit hypocritical here, but I'm going to be completely honest. After opening day, when the Yankees lost to the Blue Jays, I listened to talk radio the next day and the amount of Yankee fans that were calling in acting as if the sky was falling. It, it was infuriating me. I'm like, it's game one of the season. But you know what? When the Mets opened up last night, I kind of felt the same way. And I said this to you, Rob, I know it's the first game of the season and there's 161 left to go, but that was such a typical inept Mets loss that it's hard not to overreact because that's a game that the Mets have lost in a similar fashion so many times over the past three, four, five seasons. It it seemed like same old Mets and with all the hype and all the excitement surrounding this franchise with new ownership, new front office, new infrastructure, new scouting, you know, it just, it just felt like such a same old Mets loss. And that's not the way you want to start off a season. So I think every Mets fan who, who I don't want to say is acting like the sky is falling, but every Mets fan that is insanely critical of last night's loss, I think they're well within their right to, to be acting that way because last night was a disgrace. That's just the way it was. Well, look, the Yankee fans overreacted because they just overreacted to Judge, to Stanton. You know, they just had terrible at-bats. And once again, if the Yankees aren't slugging home runs, they're not, they can't. They can't manufacture runs, the Yankees. I mean, let's face it. If they're not hitting homers, they're not scoring runs. And that's a problem. You know, on, on the overreaction with us Met fans was, were, were mistakes, were glaring mistakes. That's the problem. And it started with the lineup from 3 o'clock in the afternoon with Dominic Smith out of the lineup. It went into DeGrom being pulled after 77 pitches in his sixth inning. And I don't give a shit what they said. You're going to tell me Jacob DeGrom wanted to come out of the game where he said, oh, we talked about it? Bullshit. Bullshit. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. I, I, cannot got... be, I cannot believe that. And, and Jacob DeGrom would not throw his manager or, or the front office or anybody that made this dopey decision under the bus. No, he's too okay? good of a guy. And, he's but, too but good Jacob, of a guy. Jacob 77 DeGrom... pitches, you're taking your ace out. When you know you don't need to go into the bullpen. Win the goddamn game. You're against Jacob DeGrom against Matt Moore. Matt Moore, hello, sucks. That game should never have been lost. And once again, they, they buried DeGrom. They buried him. They buried him like freaking roadkill. Again, again, another wasted effort by Jacob DeGrom. Wasted effort. He should have been into that seventh inning. He, he, he had another inning in him. There was no doubt. He wasn't tiring. He wasn't struggling in the sixth inning. How the hell you pull the guy out? Win the goddamn game. The Win last, the game with your ace for once. Win the game with DeGrom, please. The last pitch he threw before he was taken out was a 101-mile-an-hour fastball that he blew by Bryce Harper. He showed no signs of fatigue in that game. And like we said, he's too nice of a guy to throw throw Rojas under the bus. But at the end of the day, DeGrom is the poster child for having a bulldog mentality. 
he's got the mentality that you want every single pitcher to want. So there is no way on God's green earth that you can convince me that he was totally for the decision to come out after six innings and 77 pitches. I don't care that he was thrown for the first time in 10 days because of the game's pushback. I don't care that it was the first start of the year after not throwing a lot of innings last year and in, in the ramp up. It's not like you were asking him to go out there and, and do a Johan Santana and throw 137 pitches to get through a no-hitter. No, 77 pitches when he showed no signs of slowing down, no signs of fatigue. Like I said, last pitch he threw was a 101-mile-an-hour fastball past Bryce Harper. He could have went out there and gone for one more inning. And I, and I got a lot of people that, you know, friends of mine that I was arguing with after the game last night that were saying to me, you know, it didn't it didn't impact the game because May is still pitching the eighth inning. That that might that might very well be true. Maybe May still pitches the eighth inning and he still blows it because he didn't have good command last night. But you know what? Just because you might lose the game anyway doesn't mean that you should manage the game the wrong way. It was still a bad decision, regardless. Terrible you got to keep your race out there. You got to ride with him. And especially, like you said, Rob, before, this bullpen is such a question mark. And I hear you know, people saying, you know, it's not really a question mark. You went out there with your best reliever, with, with Trevor May in the eighth inning. Let me tell you something. We thought Trevor May was a nice pickup. At no point in his career has he been a lockdown, shutdown reliever. He should not be the linchpin of a bullpen. And that's the glaring issue. The Mets bullpen is still a huge, it's an enormous, enormous issue. The, the guys in that bullpen that are making the most money, the two guys who are making the most money are guys that they didn't feel comfortable using last night, Familia and Batances. Those are going to be guys that have been relegated to, to mop-up roles. Loop looked like an absolute disaster. I mean, I have, I have confidence that Trevor May will bounce back, but the main point is that he should not be the linchpin of a bullpen on a team that's supposed to win 90-plus games and compete in the playoffs. That shouldn't be. So until Seth Lugo comes back, this bullpen is going to be an issue, and you're going to be sitting here bite, biting your fingernails all night as soon as the starting pitcher comes out of the game. And last night no, should no. be a should be a lesson that you got to let your starters go. I don't care yeah, that I, baseball's moving in a direction where you want to take these guys out and you want to coddle them. I want to see what they're going to do to Stroman with Stroman now. He's got 52 pitches. Well, he's into the fifth inning with one out right now with 52 pitches. Because let me tell you something, Trevor May probably might not be available tonight. Now, he threw about 25-plus yeah, pitches last so night. He's I, I probably not he's, available. I don't think he's going to be available. Yes, you have Diaz. Okay, you have him. But now, does that mean we got to go to Familia or Batances now, too? I mean, uh, Giselman? I mean, you have confidence in these guys? I got zero confidence in those guys. No, the, only guy, the, only guy from last, the only guy from last night that I think would probably be available is Castro, but I don't have confidence in him either. Yeah, he, he got through a scoreless. He threw. The guy threw, hit, the, hit the ball to the warning track. I know. He got, he got three outs and didn't give up any runs, but he got tattooed. I mean, a, a diving catch by Alonzo, a fly out that, that if we're using last year's baseball, goes over the fence. I mean, a, hard, a hard a hard hit ball right to the second baseman. I mean, he got tattooed. Andrew, it's becoming an epidemic with all these, uh, you know, with, with, with all these uh, pitching changes. Because even the other night, Rocco Bodelli takes out Jose Berrios, 84 pitches in the sixth inning with a no-hitter, and they take the kid out. Now, I'm not saying you got to make the kid go for the no-hitter, you know, at, at the expense of his arm uh, or an a potential injury. I'm not saying that. But 84 pitches in the sixth inning, that kid was incredulous when he got taken out. 84 pitches, it's becoming an epidemic and it, in baseball. And it's not, and it's it's not like they it's, it's not like they had worse. a it's not like they had a big lead. Corbin Burns on the other side right. was throwing a no-hitter too. Was throwing a no-hitter it was too, a zero-zero right. game. Right. It was a zero-zero game. And he takes him out of the game. It's it's becoming an epidemic in baseball. You know, the strikeouts, the home run, and 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 the, the myriad of pitching changes 
in every single game is getting ridiculous. And they wonder why the game is slowed down. They wonder why there's not as much fan interest anymore because they made the, the game is boring right now. It's boring. Nobody wants to see 12 pitching changes in every single game. Nobody wants to see it. You're trying to speed up the game. I mean, you can't speed up the game when you have that many pitching changes, when you have nothing but strikeouts or maybe a home run. The other night, what was it on Sunday? I think it was 11 teams, 11 different teams struck up more than 12, te- 12 times. I mean, you know, it's it's crazy what's going on. I was watching games over the weekend, Andrew. I was pulling my hair, well, whatever hair I got left. I was ready to pull that out. I'm saying, man, these games are boring. Where's the action? There's no action. There's no action. It's home runs or strikeouts and pitching changes. I'm watching starting pitches come out of the game. 65 pitches, they're throwing four and two-thirds, and I think it's a, you know, it's an event. Oh, yeah, Yahoo. A four and two-thirds. Oh, he played. He pitched well. He pitched well. He battled. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. What's going on in baseball now is a joke. And it's getting worse, Andrew. I'm seeing more and more pitching changes. They are babying these pitches to the point where this that's the reason why there's so many arm injuries. When guys, when guys weren't working out and they had no, no exercise regimen, no training regimen whatsoever. And I don't want to hate to bring up 40 years ago, whatever, but I'm going to bring it up. And guys like Ryan and Koufax and, and Carlton and Siva and Gibson and all these guys and the whole entire Oriole pitching staff, all and the, the Met pitching staff back then, every Ron Guidry were throwing 300 innings a year. They weren't coming out. They were pitching nine, 10 innings a game. Every single start. They had pride. Did you ever hear of a torn rotator cuff or Tommy John surgery? Nobody heard of it. It was unheard of. Because why? They let these guys throw in a minus and they let their arms stretch out. They stretched their arms out. And that was a big thing about Leo Mazzoni with the Braves teams, with Glavin and Smoltz and Avery and Maddox and all those guys. They let them pitch. They left I, them I, pitch in the minors. I have a I have a little bit of a theory as to as to why the game has gotten this way, and it's a deep rooted issue. And I think it probably ties into why there's going to be a work stoppage next year. I think what you're seeing is the way that Major League Baseball is structured, particularly with payroll. Right, there's no salary cap, and just the whole way that Major League Baseball is structured fiscally. You're seeing smaller market teams that are being incentivized to not spend money and they're starting to operate their front office in a way that's outside the box. And what you've seen over the past decade specifically is you've seen teams like the Oakland A's and teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, teams that do not have a high payroll. They're by the floor of the the basement of the league as far as their payroll is concerned, but they find a way to compete because you know, they do things differently. Their scouting is different. They coach things different. And so a lot of these other teams are starting to adopt that way of thinking. And now I think this is why baseball has started to shift in this direction. So I think it all ties back to the way Major League Baseball is structured. And the way that Major League Baseball is structured is the reason why there's going to be a work stoppage next year. This is all tied together. But what are we worried about, Rob? What are we worried about? With all these problems in baseball and the way that it's being the, the way that it's being played, the way that it's being taught, the way that it's being coached, and what are we worried about? Eliminating the shift or starting extra innings with a runner on second base. Those are the problems that we're looking to tackle. I mean, come on. Everything is just ass backwards. It really is. 
No, it's 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 ass backwards. I mean, I, I don't know where the state of baseball is going to be because if they do have a work stoppage, they're really in trouble. Because they're in trouble now to a certain degree because the game is so slow right now and it's people are getting bored by it. I mean, I used to love baseball. I loved it. Over the last couple of years with these pitching changes and the strikeouts and the home runs, that's all you're seeing. I'm not seeing guys... You know, I'm not seeing these 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 three thirty, three forty hitters. I'm not. I'm seeing everybody trying to pull the ball. You know, I, and let me let me just dispel something real quick. You bring up how there's so many strikeouts, right? I see a lot of people on Twitter that argue that point by saying the pitchers nowadays are throwing faster and have more movement. No, let me tell you uh, something. No. Let me tell you something, Rob. If you watched that Mets game last night, they were facing Matt Moore, a guy who was pitching in Japan last year, and six of the first nine guys struck out. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to yeah. do with pitchers throwing harder and having no, more movement on the all. ball because not the guy who couldn't even get a job last year not struck out six of the first nine guys on the Mets right. lineup, a Mets lineup that's supposed to be a top five lineup in baseball. Right. It's all about the philosophy of hitting nowadays. So no, stick with that that's nonsense. It. It's all about launch angles and uppercuts and that's it. They, everybody wants to hit the ball in the air. That's it. Nobody just wants to, you know, nobody wants to hit 35, 40 doubles and 15 homers anymore. Andrew, they want to hit, you know, they don't want to hit 290, 300. They want to hit 240 with 35 homers. And 25 doubles. They're, they're happy with that. I, that is the philosophy of baseball over the last few years, how it's changed. And I just don't understand how everybody kind, kind of thinks that, you know, somebody that's that's hitting 220. You know, when Dave King was around years ago, back in the days, he was a 225 hitter with the Mets, the Cubs. He played for the Yankees. 225 hitter that struck out 225 times and he hit 40 homers. And everybody should just love to see him come up and just take a big cut and see how far he could hit a ball. But nobody thought he was that good of a player. He played on seven different teams. You know, he wasn't one of your top earners in baseball. No, you know, people, people, people enjoyed that. But now it's being taken to Adam Dunn. Dunn. Yeah, but the the problem is, Rob, is that that what was once looked at as a fun little player that was exciting to watch is now being considered the blueprint of building a baseball team. Right. That's where the problem lies. That's a good way to put it. Good point. That's Good where point. the problem lies, you know, and it's, I joke around with problem. I joke around with you because, you know, I always joke around saying that you put too much of an emphasis on defense. But I mean, I, I totally agree with you from this point of view. You can't be building a team full of guys who are going to swing for defenses every single time. You know, it's just uh, I mean, theoretically, you can, but you wonder why the sport is failing. And that's 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 why the St. Louis Cardinals won World Series uh, in the 80s with, with with pitching, with speed and defense, period. Pitching, speed, defense, and these guys hit. They hit. They weren't sluggers. They were all 300 hitters that hit maybe 12 to 15 homers, but they all stole 15 to 20 bases. They all played great defense. Tommy Herr, you know, guys like uh, uh, um, um, Terry Pendleton, you know, all these sorts of – Ozzie Smith, you know, all the, they had the one slugger in the lineup was Jack Clark, but he was still a 260 hitter. But he was, he was their slugger. He was the prototypical cleanup hitter. I mean, you know, they 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 had Vince Coleman. I mean, they had guys there. It was just it's just amazing to me the transition of baseball nowadays, Andrew. It just it it's terrible. It really, really is. And again, you know, I was looking forward to the baseball season, and then I think I, I forgot who I who I texted the other day, and I said I needed baseball to come back to remind me how boring baseball really is. I'm sitting, I'm trying to watch games, and I'm flipping around to each game, and I'm saying, where the hell is the action? Where is it? And I'm just seeing pitching change after pitching change after pitching change. Strikeout, 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 strikeout. That's all you're seeing. That's it. That's it. It's like nobody learned how to hit. Nobody learned just to be a hitter. 
Nobody learned to be a Tony Gwynn or Wade Boggs or Rod Carew or, you know, guys like that. I mean, nobody wants to be that. Nobody wants to be that. Nobody wants to hit the ball the other way. Hit against the shift. Okay, they're putting the shift on you. Well, here's a novel idea. How about in batting practice? How about in spring training? How about in the offseason? You learn to hit the ball the opposite way of the shift. Then you know what happens, Andrew? They don't shift. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I don't want to give people the impression that we're just going to be, you know, sit on here and complain all day. I, I did want to get into a couple of positives, even though last night's Mets loss was d- disgusting. There are a couple positives and tying into what you just said, learning to hit the ball the opposite way. We're seeing Pete Alonzo hit the ball the opposite mm-hmm. field a lot. And even though it's, it's only six, seven at bats into the season thus far, he drove an opposite field double tonight. Uh, he flew out to the warning track opposite field last night, hit an opposite field single last night. If they're going to shift three infielders on the left side, that's the way to combat that is to learn to hit the ball the opposite field. That's so that's, that's one positive. That's it. The second positive that I think you could take away from last night, as much as we, we complain that they took him out early, was Jacob DeGrom is still Jacob DeGrom. I mean, he just toyed with the Phillies lineup. So, you know, that's 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 huge for the Mets. They just need to learn to win games when he's on the mound because they've had a, a tough time doing that over the years. Um, the third positive, which I think is what you could take away from the game so far tonight, is that Marcus Stroman looks really good through five innings. Now, with Carrasco being out, we talked about how huge of an injury that is to the pitching staff and how Stroman, who he talks a big game, but this was the year where he really needed to hold that rotation together as the number two starter. And listen, he's facing a Phillies lineup that's that's really good from top to bottom. The Phillies do have a very good, very good lineup, one through nine. And uh, he's he's. He's been able to get through it two times through the order. He'll be going through the third time through the order when uh, when the sixth inning starts or when he gets back on the mound for the bottom half of the sixth inning. But, you know, Stroman, he's a ground ball pitcher, needs that sinker working, needs good defense behind him. And that brings me to my last positive is the good defense behind him. Listen, he hasn't made any gold glove spectacular highlights, but he's made a couple of plays that are not routine plays look easy. And that's Francisco Lindor. There was a 6-4-3 double play that was turned in last night's game that I know it wasn't a web gem. You're not going to see it on baseball tonight. You're not going to see it on, on um, MLB Network later on. Or, But it's just a play that we have never seen the Mets middle infielders make over the past five, six years. It just hasn't happened. And if you're going to put – if you're going to have up-the-middle defense, which is something, Rob, that you've been saying on this podcast, I think up-the-middle defense is probably the most used term you have on this podcast – if we're going to see an improvement, I think that's really going to help the pitching staff too. So we're not going to be totally negative. I think those are a couple positives that I could take away from, from what we've seen thus far. Do you have any positives to add that, that I didn't touch on? Not after I just see Michael Conforto strike out on a 3-2 pitch right down the middle of the plate in which he takes, <laughs> in which he takes his bat and chucks it towards the dugout like, it was, like he was going to draw the walk. I mean, what the freak are you looking at? What are you looking at? It's a 3-2 pitch. It's a 3-2 fastball down the middle of the plate. What do you and then you have the audacity to take your bat and flip it like you thought you walked, you were ready to walk to first base, and you were shocked that the umpire called it a strike. I mean, are you shitting me here? This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about with these at bats. I don't understand. I just don't understand. Listen, I, I, don't, I, I, I tried to it. put a positive spin on it. I tried. No, I can't successfully. It's, it's hard, right? It's hard because that game last night left a bitter taste in my mouth to start. It left a bitter, bitter taste. Everything that happened in that game. The follies of that eighth inning where they bring an Aaron Looper and he proceeds to hit Bryce Harper in the ass with a freaking 60-mile-per-hour curveball. I, I mean, to me, it's just it, – it, it's, it's unreal. It's unreal. Wait till you see I, that I just, pitch. 
It's unreal. I can honestly. Did I you honestly see that pitch just now to beat Alonzo? Yeah, yeah, right down the middle of the plate. What are you looking at? I mean, seriously, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? I, what are you looking for? What are you looking at? I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, I need to turn it off because my blood pressure is going through the freaking roof. I mean, seriously, he's supposed to be professional hitters. I don't mind if a guy paints the corner black. He gets you out on a slider, you know, a tough slider, tough curveball. But that shit, come on, man. Come on. Let, let's stop. Now they are. All right, Alonzo, Alonzo's talking to Conforto. Well, what'd you see? I don't know. What'd you see? I don't know. Fastball down the middle. Under me too. <laughs> well, why didn't we swing? I don't know. I'm an asshole. Well, yeah, you know what? You are an asshole and I'm an asshole. That's basically should be the conversation. <laughs> That's the conversation. That's the conversation right there. So, All right, let, you know, let's move on to football so we, we get your blood pressure back to a normal level right now. So, like we mentioned before, um, a big topic of conversation over the past couple podcasts has been the fate of Sam Darnold and what the Jets quarterback situation is going to look like in 2021. Well, we pretty much got our definitive answer yesterday because the Jets traded Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. They get a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and a sixth-round pick. I believe the... Um, Fourth round pick is this coming draft, and the second and the sixth is in 2022? Or is it no, the second he, this uh, year no, and the fourth this, and the sixth? It's it's the sixth this, this year and the second and fourth next year. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So the sixth this year, second and fourth in 2022. Um, so there's your answer. The Jets are going to move on from Sam Darnold. Um, Zach Wilson is going to be drafted number two. I don't really think that there's any debate in that. Uh, and Zach Wilson is going to be the new quarterback of the Jets. Look. We there's no need to break down what went wrong with Sam Donald in New York. Okay, they did a, a, an extreme disservice to him by not surrounding him with a lot of talent and, and the, one of the poorest coaching performances we've ever seen. Uh, but Donald didn't do himself any favors either. So at the end of the day, the marriage was not an ideal one, and you can understand them moving on. But like I said two weeks ago when we first brought this conversation up, Rob, you can't be moving on from Donald and, unless you're in love with Zach Wilson. Now, I believe that the front office is in love with Zach Wilson, and that's why they made this move. But I see I see an article written in the New York Post today that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit, and I'm not sure if you read it. But the Jets beat reporter for the New York Post, Brian Costello, reported that there was an internal debate about Sam Darnold. And apparently Robert Sala was a proponent of keeping Sam, and Joe Douglas was not. Now, listen. There's good news within that statement, and there's bad news within that statement. The good news is it finally seems like the Jets have the proper hierarchy. It used to be the general manager and head coach both were on equal footing and reported to the owner. So the head coach could go behind the GM's back. It just didn't make any sense. With Joe Douglas making this decision, it seems like they finally have a good organizational structure where the coach reports to the GM and the GM reports to the owner the way it should be. So that's the good news to take from that statement. The bad news is if Sala was a proponent of keeping Darnold, then I'm not entirely sure why he was the guy that you decided to hire because I feel like the whole entire head coaching search was reliant on the quarterback controversy. I mean, that was the most pressing issue with the Jets. So you have to think that that was the first question that was asked during the interview process, Rob, was how they felt about Sam Darnold. So if there were differing opinions on the quarterback – uh, you know, it, it, I'm not saying that Sal is not going to be a good coach, but it just makes me question the motive in hiring him if you knew that there was going to be butting heads as far as what to do with the quarterback. It, it, it seemed very strange to me. 
Well, you know what, Andrew? Look, we say it here on this podcast. We said it last week, too. You know, there are certain, listen, there's certain factions out there that, that have looked at Sam Donald, you know, people not affiliated with the Jets um, that feel like Sam Donald was never given a fair shake, whether it be Adam Gase, the coach, whether it be, you know, what he was surrounded with. So, look, I mean, Matt Rule loved him. And evidently, they said that when the Jets went to go interview Matt Rule, Matt Rule loved everything about Sam Donald. He thought that Sam Donald had intangibles to which he kept the locker room together. He was, he was uh, you know, a presence in the locker room and with the organization. Uh, look, every coach that doesn't have Sam Donald on his team always thinks they could fix that guy. Now, Sam Donald, again... As much as we didn't agree with the Jets taking him where they took him in that draft at number three, um, there were other teams that maybe thought, it, look, look, if Sam Donald felt the seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, somebody would have taken him. I, he would have never, if the Jets passed on him, he wouldn't have plummeted all the way down. I, I, you know, who knows? I don't think so. He probably still would have been a top 10 pick, Sam Donald. Somebody would have still took a shot with him because he had that sort of talent coming out of USC, no matter what people were saying about him. He's still somebody that you felt like you could develop in the NFL. He had those sort of skills. Now, again, the jury's out, Andrew. And maybe what Salah is thinking is saying, hey, look, this kid, we've seen some talent. He did win some games with the Jets when he had some people around him and he had Todd Bowles as a coach and not Adam Gase. He wasn't as bad. So, look, we're going to see. We're going to see what happens with the Panthers. He's got some, you know, he's got a little bit of talent there. Obviously, he's got the great Christian McCaffrey there. He's got DJ Moore, who's a very good, uh, very good receiver. He's back with they the did, best connection he had in New York. With and Robbie he's Anderson. got Robbie Anderson there. So that he's got some weapons there. They have a pretty decent offensive line, the, uh, the Panthers. So, look, at, let's see what happens this year. He's going to have a good coach in, in Matt Rule. So, look, let's again, we're going to find out what Sam Donald is this year. We'll find out if he takes a, a couple of steps forward. We'll know because he'll have a better team and a better coach around him. And maybe that's what Salo was thinking. Hey, listen, uh, LaFleur could coach this kid up here. The offensive corner I'm bringing in is going to suit Sam Donald's skills. It's going to help him. It's going to help him be a better quarterback. Denzel Mims being around for the you know for a whole year, not being injured. Bringing in Corey Davis, having Jamison Crowder. You know, having some professionals, maybe drafting a running back in the draft here. Maybe they can they can get a Najee Harris or, or Travis Etienne. You know, maybe they get a running back like that with that sort of skill level. So, look, I mean, we'll see. But we're going to see what Sam Donald is this year. We'll see. No, this is the year for him to come out and perform. And listen, we've, we've seen quarterbacks in the past. And I did Ryan tell Tannehill you, I did say it. I said it. I said it on a text message yesterday with me, you, Tommy, Bruce, and yourself. And I said, uh, Joe Douglas he was is is not. It's Sam Donald is not Joe Douglas's quarterback, right? It, it, and he didn't play well enough for Joe Douglas to justify saying, "Okay, let me give him a shot." Every GM and, and that's, is going to want to pick their own guy, whether and, it be a and coach that's that's what or I think this. That's what I think this decision came down to because now the Jets finally have enough draft capital where Joe Douglas can start fully putting his fingerprints on this team. But like I said in the past, and it's a quarterback driven league. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. And Joe Douglas was not going to have his fate sealed by a quarterback that he did not select. So the decision came down to him and 
I think that's an indictment of how strongly Joe Douglas felt about Donald not being his pick that he, I'm not going to say went above the head coach because that's his, he's a GM. He, he should have a more of a say than the head coach, but the fact that he was willing to disagree and go out on a limb with a first year head coach that are trying to get off to a good start as far as their relationship is concerned, the fact that he was willing to go that route and still get rid of Donald, I guess shows you how he really feels. And, and, and now it's time for Zach Wilson. Now, look, Let's not just think that Zach Wilson is going to light up the world now because Zach Wilson is not going into a picture-perfect situation either because the Jets still have a lot of holes to fill. But the, the clock resets, and I know Jet fans are probably tired of hearing that. But the clock resets now, and you have the amount of draft capital, like I said, for Joe Douglas to finally start building this team up the way that he wants to build it up. And, and this is really the... The st- I know Joe Douglas has been here for almost two years now, but I think this is this is when the clock starts ticking on Joe Douglas. Now he finally has the chance to do what he wants to do and, and build this roster from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I mean, yeah, they have the draft capital, but you also have to hit on the draft picks. And I'll tell you what, and I wonder if they're going to use some of this draft capital. If they like certain players in that first round in this year's draft, they use some of the draft capital they built up to try and move up you know, maybe get a, maybe even get another first round pick in this draft. So, you know, I just made an error. Damn you, McNeil. Oh God. Right. As I was, I mushed them. I was talking about how good they're up the middle, dif- up yeah. the middle defense has yeah. been. And, and, and he's smiling. Yeah. Yeah, smile, asshole. Smile while we all get aggravated. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we're going to find out, but he, you know, he's still got to hit on his draft picks. It's wonderful to have all this draft capital, but you know, at a certain point though, Andrew, you got to stop with all the draft capital. You got to start getting players on this team. You know, you can't always just worry about draft capital, draft capital, draft capital. It's nice to have it. They have it this year and next year. It's nice to have, but A, you got to hit on those picks, and B, sometimes you got to use all that draft capital to maybe even move up to to maybe acquire, you know, some some good college, some good college players coming out. So maybe they maybe they do that too. Maybe they use one of those picks, those extra first round picks from next year to move up in this draft again and maybe get a third first round pick here. Who knows? They might, you know, if you see a running back that you like and, you know, with, with that, with your second first round pick or you see another offensive lineman there, you know, maybe use the draft capital that way because you, you you can't just be stuck in this rebuild mode forever. You know, you have a fan base that's already tiring. They've been tiring for, for years. I mean, how much more patience do, do you want them to have? At some point, you got to start accumulating talent on this team. You just have to. And now, look, did they use all the calories, uh, salary cap space this year? They really didn't because they they didn't. Uh, oh God, here we go. Here it comes. Here it comes. Wild pitch. But so you know, we're gonna see. We're gonna see. But you have to hit on these draft picks. This is a critical draft for Joe Douglas. It really is. It's yeah. critical. You got to yeah, come no. out with three or four starters in this draft. One hundred percent. A hundred percent. You really do. And it looks, yeah, obviously they're going to take Zach Wilson. I mean, they're going to take him. I mean, look, I, 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 if they're in love with the guy, then you know what? You take him, and you got to believe in him. And you know what? You, you gotta be. And, and I, I said that before. And that's one thing I just want to caution after reading that article that Sala and Douglas, um, we're in disagreement about what to do. I'm not a Jets fan, but I, I hope that this is not the case. I hope that I'm wrong. Okay. I found it rather strange, like I said, that they would hire Salah, not let him leave the building if they knew 
that he was not enamored with bringing uh, – if they knew that Salah was a proponent of bringing Donald back and, and Douglas wasn't. However, I hope this is not the case. I hope that Douglas was not in agreement with Salah initially and then decided to change course because of the amount of draft capital that they were offered by Carolina. Because if yeah. that's the case, that shows you that they were not in love with Wilson and they just made the move to acquire that draft capital. And that is a huge, huge no-no because you're wasting the second overall pick if that's the case. You're wasting it. Yeah, I, I guess what they're thinking is, you know, is, is Sam Donald that much better than what Zach Wilson is going to be? And if he's not, then you draft Zach Wilson. And again, maybe Jeff fans don't want to hear it, but you are restarting the clock on his contract, on your quarterback's contract, which is important because when you don't have to pay that quarterback for four years, for the first four years, I mean, listen, it, it, that's a huge difference, especially in the Silent Cup world. That's and again, a tremendous we, play by Pete Alonzo right there. Oh, my and, God. And we're, I know. And we're going to, and, and you know, we're going to see, obviously, the Silent Cap explode. You know, we're going to see it explode. Um, but look, again, if they don't hit it on these picks, it, it's a moot point. It's a moot point. And, you know, listen, Brian Costello's reporting this. We don't know. How do we know? I mean, I know the guy's, you know, he, he's the jet beat rider. So he probably has some of his sources, but we don't know exactly, exactly how it went. You know what I mean? You, you know, just well, he did go on to say in that article that Salo was was on board with the decision that Joe Douglas made. He might not necessarily agree with it, but there was not a butting of heads. Salah said, okay, that's what you want to do. You do it. That's not the direction I would go, but if that's what you want to do, I'm all for it and let's do it. So there was, there's no animosity there, which, which is good. But, you know, like you said, we don't know. But I think, I think now, uh, you know, what you see the San Francisco trade to come up to number three, and, and now with the Jets getting rid of Darnold, they're cementing that they're taking Zach Wilson. Uh, Mel Kuyper was on the, the Michael K show today. And he said that it's pretty much set in stone that San Francisco is taking Mac Jones with the number three pick. That's, that, that's what yeah, Kuyper said. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, hey, listen, I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say it's set in stone, but I think it's set in stone that they're going to be taking a quarterback. But I think the main point here is that this draft starts at pick four. That's where, that's where it really starts getting interesting. You're going to see the three quarterbacks come off the board with the first three picks. Right. You're already hearing now that the Falcons are taking calls on that number sure, four of pick course. because yeah. of someone might be moving up to take a quarterback. And now. if I'm the Falcons, you got to listen because, again, we mentioned this um, um, you know, quite a few times over the last couple of weeks after restructuring Ryan's contract. He's probably going to be there for two more years. Now, listen, if you take a kid like Trey Lance there, obviously he needs he's going to need a couple of years of, of just – you know, sitting and watching and learning the game because he just just hasn't played enough. So um, Strowman gets out of it. Um, so, you know, he, he would need a couple of years, uh, Trey Lance. And, you know, look, he's behind Matt Ryan. So uh, the Falcons, to me, I tell you, they could probably, if somebody loves Justin Fields, even Trey Lance for that matter, they could probably get a lot of draft capital there at that spot. And that's something they'd have to think about the Falcons. I mean, look, who would be the one team Denver, right? Denver. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. Unless Detroit. I mean, I don't know what Goff's contract would be like next year, the cap pit, but you know, you would have to think Denver, obviously now you're taking the Panthers out of the equation because they, they acquired Sam Donald. So they're no longer be looking for a quarterback. So 
you're probably looking at Denver, probably looking to move up because I don't think they're so enamored with uh, with Drew Locke. But you also got teams that may be picking mid first round a team like Washington that might be wanting to move up. Yeah, but the problem is, though, Andrew, do the Falcons want to go that far back? That's the problem. Do they do they want to go that far back themselves to the point where, you know, they're out of the top 10? I mean, unless they're getting something that's just a no brainer. Well, this is, this still, is my, this wanna, is my point, you though. You still want to get some value back. I mean, you know, you want to maybe stay in that top 10. Well, my so, initial my initial point is this. Now that you know the Jets are taking the quarterback now that they got rid of Darnold and you know that San Francisco is trading up for the quarterback. First of all, that makes the number four pick that much more valuable for, for anybody else to move up now that there's another quarterback taken off the board. So you figure Fields is probably the next guy to go off. It might even be Lance. We don't know. But that number four pick becomes that much more valuable. You also have to factor in that although the way the contract was restructured and set up with Matt Ryan, it looks like the Falcons are going to keep him. But, but we don't know. They could go quarterback, too. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So that adds another level of intrigue uh, into what what's going to go down in the top half of that draft. And again, uh, makes that number four pick uh, more of a hot commodity. So uh, the Falcons are in the driver's seat. They may, they may come out of this, besides Jacksonville getting a generational talent, Trevor, Will, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Atlanta may walk away from this draft as the big winners. Because they could either get the pick of the litter at any other position besides quarterback, or they can get a monumental return with how valuable that pick is that they currently have in their possession. So they're, they get, they're in the driver's seat right now. They could do whatever they please and walk away from this draft looking good. Uh, yeah, and, and again, I mean, if somebody's enamored with, with Justin Fields or, or, or with, uh, with Trey Lance, I mean... I t- look, oh, to you- answer your question, uh, dead cap hit, is forty million dollars this year for Goff? Thirty well, yeah, million dollars a year after that? They have how much? Thirty what? Thirty million in twenty twenty two. Yeah, so he quickest they can get out is twenty twenty three. It'd be a ten million dollar yeah. dead cap. Hit. So the only, I mean, look, if, I tell you the truth. In the top ten, the only team looking for a quarterback right now then would be Denver, and then after that you got Dallas, no Giants, no Philadelphia at twelve. Who you've been rumored, but they're not going to move back up. They've already. They've already made that trade. Chargers, obviously not. Minnesota at 14, get rid of Kirk Cousins. But they're not going to get rid of him. What's what's remaining on Cousins' contract? You know, I think he got a lot of his money up front. I mean, he don't forget they extended him too. But, you know, I I, I don't know. Does Atlanta want to go from 4 to 14? I can't see that happening. To me, the only spot, the only trade that would make sense would be with Denver. If Denver wanted to move up. And where is Denver? Eight? Denver's at nine. Denver's at nine. Denver's at nine. And I'll tell you what, nine, if I, I'm not still... saying I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it for this reason, but if I'm a if I'm a Broncos fan, I do not want John Elway taking another quarterback. Well, John Elway's been removed as general manager, don't forget. So he's not making the pick. But what did he what is he now? The president of football? Well, he's operations. like the president of football. Yeah, but he's not making the pick. He won't be making the pick. They specifically just gave him, you know, it's John Elway. They're not going to fire him. So they gave him, you know, a, a better title. But at the same point, they took control okay. of, of the roster away from him. So, All right. so as long as he's not making, making that, that pick, pick because he, no, he's not going to be making putrid. That he's been putrid. At putrid. It, yeah. He's been terrible. He's been absolutely terrible. So, so look, I mean, Denver makes the most sense. If, if Denver wants to give up what it would take for Atlanta, if not, then what does Atlanta do? I mean, do they, do they take the quarterback and groom him behind Ryan or maybe keep Ryan for another year? And with the cap go, more than likely going up the following year, 
they could always cut Ryan and take the dead cap space, which would probably be about 24 million, I think it would be. Look, the Eagles did it this year, so it could be done. It could be done. And especially if you're going to have a, a, a quarterback on a rookie contract, it certainly can be done. So it's possible the Falcons might keep that unless they get something that's going to be desirable to them in a trade. They keep that pick and maybe take Fields of Lance and, this, you know, this, basically give Ryan one more year. I so, started thinking about this today. And I don't know if they'd be willing to. I don't know if they're interested in it. But the door is open for Pittsburgh to try to move up and take a quarterback now. Yeah, but if they wanted to. Andrew from 24 to where, you know, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? That's not well, Pittsburgh's. That's not their way. In all honesty, I think they're going to try and develop Haskins. I really do. I hope that's not the case. There's no development. Uh, well, look, I, 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 think, I think they look at him that he's a first-round pick. He had some talent. It was his work ethic because the Rangers just scored to make it 6-2 on the power play. Who Kako, scored now? Kako. Kako. Oh, baby. Deflection. Um, I mean, where would the Steelers go to move up to get a quarterback? That's a huge jump. There's no way. Unless Trey well, no, no, they don't, have, they don't have to. They don't have to. They don't have to move up a ton. But like, let's say Denver is the only team that's taken a quarterback there. Then you still, you know, next thing you know, it's it's. It, let's say Carolina would. Uh, Carolina. Let's say Denver would have take Justin Fields, right? That's with the ninth pick. Then all of a sudden you're at pick fifteen. Well, Fields ain't gonna fall that. I don't think he'll. You know, if he, well, the only thing is, if he gets past Atlanta, Cincinnati, no, Miami, no, Detroit, no. Carolina, if, he gets, no. if he gets past Atlanta, gets past Atlanta Denver then, doesn't even have to move. Denver, well, unless somebody decides to move all the way up. Somebody jumps, somebody might jump Denver. That's what you got to be careful with. But and and Pittsburgh could be that team. But let's just say for the sake of the argument. For the sake stuff. of the argument, though, let's just say that Denver doesn't have to move and Denver takes the quarterback at nine, right? After that, all of a sudden you're at pick 15, well, Trey Lance it, is still on the board, and then all of a sudden you don't have to move up 20 spots. Now you're only moving up six or seven here's spots. The and thing. It's doable. Here's the Cause, thing. Because they moved up uh, they moved up 11 spots to take Devin Bush a couple of years ago. It's not something that Pittsburgh normally does, but they've done it. No, but that's – yeah, I know, but that's also a linebacker. They're going to ask a hell of a lot more for a quarterback probably. But then again, you, you have point values to these trades. I don't know. The but you also – I mean, shot, the, you, know. you don't know that Pittsburgh is taking the quarterback when they're trading with you. You have no idea. No, but you'd have to think more than likely that's what they'd be going for. But look, it, the, the one kid that could drop in this draft would be Trey Lance. And again, if Atlanta doesn't take a quarterback, now you got you got Fields, right? One, two, three. You got uh, – because it's going to go Lawrence, Wilson, Jones we're looking at. Then you got Fields and Lance there. If, if Atlanta doesn't take a quarterback, man, oh, man. You know, Lance could be a guy that drops. Yeah. Because obviously, like I said, unless Detroit says to hell with it, we're taking a quarterback and we'll dump Goff next year. And I don't and we'll, I don't we'll I don't think hit. that they do. I think the I think Atlanta probably goes they Parsons, maybe they go with Sewell. I don't think I don't think they, they I don't think Parsons is too soon over there. If anything, maybe they take they take the I think they take either I think they, they look at either the, the Sewell or Pitts. I don't think I don't know if they take a, a, a receiver there. I mean, they could take Chase. Don't get me wrong, but you know. And then the Bengals at five is in an interesting spot because if Sewell's on the board, if Sewell's on the board at five, and you want to protect Joe Burrow, man, how do you not take the offensive lineman? Uh, there's no you way not? you can't go offensive lineman if Sewell's on the board because the whole look, the whole reason you're going to be without Burrow for a good portion of the season is because your, your offensive, offensive line, line stunk. Yeah. 
that you got, you got to build up the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that would be an interesting, an interesting spot that Cincinnati. Would I mean, be in. look, since and look at Cincinnati too, right? I mean, they have some decent weapons. I think I think T. Higgins is a decent piece. Tyler Boyd's a decent piece. Joe Mixon, they, they you know they have him locked up for a few years. They went out and spent a good good amount of money in free agency on the defense. Offensive line would be the only the only spot that really makes sense for them there. But if Sewell if Sewell isn't on the board, do they go with? Slater, do they go with the kid from USC? I mean, it's Slater's a little early for Vera Tucker. I think Slater's a little too soon. Vera Tucker goes probably at the back end. Vera Tucker probably goes more towards, I mean, I could see anywhere from 15 down for Vera Tucker because well, yeah, this he's going to project as a guard. And I know, you know, Slater's probably look, depending upon where a team takes Slater, if they take him earlier than, than 15, they take him at 12, even the Giants at 11, you're taking him to be probably a right tackle. You know, it would be it would be silly to take him and you're going to play him as a god. Look, Slater's had you know he, he he's been rated as a, as a very good tackle in college. He he's also been you also read some certain things in certain scouting reports that he could be a Pro Bowl god. Who knows? I think he could be a right tackle in this league. So if you take if the Giants were to take Slater at 11, they're taking him to play right tackle. I don't know, but then again, you you look at Joe Judge and Joe Judge loves versatility with his offensive line. He loves guys that could play tackle and guard. So you know he could always have Slater, you know, kind of, you know, like the Swiss Army knife of the offensive line. So look, I mean, I, I think if Atlanta, let's so say Atlanta goes with the tackle, so intriguing. If Atlanta were to go with the tackle, Sewell. And Cincinnati sitting there at five and saying, okay, we need the offensive line help, but it's too soon for Slater. We can get him somewhere else. That opens up the possibility for someone to jump Denver for the quarterback. And then it opens up a whole can of worm. Uh, this draft is going to be crazy. It's going to be insane. It's going cra- to be very intriguing because again, and believe it or not, it's the Falcons that hold the key to this entire draft and how intriguing yeah. it could be. Yeah, they that's could what trade I said. Out yeah. that spot, they could trade out of that spot or they could stay there at four you don't know what they're going to do if they don't take one of the quarterbacks. Now, two of those quarterbacks are dropping. And Denver's sitting there with all the teams in front of them not really needing quarterbacks. Again, we don't know what Detroit's going to do with Goff. Who knows? Maybe they take the quarterback. Maybe they say, listen, it's too good. We'll yeah. worry about Goff next year. They, if we have they to dump can, the salary. They can trade out of the pick. They could plan for life without Matt Ryan. They can get the best available player that's not a quarterback. I mean, it, the possibilities are endless. That's why I said they're, they are in the driver's seat for this entire draft. And, you know... Like I said, it opens if they don't go with a quarterback, then all of a sudden there's going to be a race for that fourth quarterback. If someone wants to jump Denver, makes the pick that much more valuable. If they go with offensive tackle, then it opens up the possibility for Cincinnati to trade back. Like everything else in this draft hinges on what Atlanta does at number four. That's why it's going to be so interesting to watch. And you don't know what's going to happen at number three, right? There also could be a lot of movement at the top half of the first round based on who San Francisco takes. Like if they take Fields, maybe someone wants to jump up and grab Jones. If they grab Jones, maybe someone wants to jump up and take Fields because we don't know exactly who San Francisco is going to take. So this is going to be insane. I can't it's wait. Gonna be, it's going to be insane. You're right. It's going to be insane. It's going to be insane. That's why I said this draft is so intriguing, man. It really, really is. And you're starting to see all the movements with it now over the last couple of weeks. The trades with the Niners, the Eagles, the Dolphins, now the Jets. You know, you're starting to see all that right now. So, uh, you know, it's, I mean. I I can't say for certain to you San Francisco is going to take. But there is one thing I can say with certainty. And and that's hyperbole because I can't really. But I'm convinced. 
Gonzaga is never going to win a championship. Oh my God. If they didn't win it this year, they're never going to win it because people were talking as if the Gonzaga team, and I was in agreement that that Gonzaga team was going to go down in the history books as one of the best college basketball teams to, to play the sport. And they just got out hustled out, physical out, skilled outclassed at every facet of the game last night. And Baylor comes along with a win 86 to 70, which was, a, a good final score for some people. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it would have been better if it was. <laughs> would have been better if it was flipped. But uh, flipped. you, you can you can make an inference as to what we're talking about there. But listen, it's just another redemption story, in in, in college sports. All right, so now I mean, you've watched you you obviously watch a ton of uh, college basketball, and that you know, look, college basketball is different than it would be in the NBA. I mean, these kids are a little bit more. They're not as mature, obviously. A um, little bit more emotion involved. Obviously, they're not getting paid. So how much of an effect do you think that that game the other night against UCLA had on Gonzaga going into last night? I mean, it's easy to say now, but you, were they emotionally drained? Like, that was kind of the rhetoric that Nance was kind of spewing last night, too. Do you think they and were emotionally drained from that game on Saturday night? I, I, I agree with that that narrative, but not just because of the emotion. This is going to be a a little bit of a weird take, but it uh, it makes sense to me. I think they would not have been emotionally drained if they had to do extensive prep work, watching film to get ready for Baylor. But you remember Gonzaga and Baylor were supposed to play each other earlier this season and the game Mm -hmm. got nixed because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So all their game planning, all their watching film, all their plays and everything, all that stuff was already drawn up. They just had to review it. So I think the mental effect from the game against UCLA, I think it had more of an effect because of the fact they didn't have to do all that prep work. If this was just an opponent that they had never seen before, let's say Houston beats Baylor and Gonzaga has to prep for Houston. I think they probably celebrate the UCLA win. Then they get back down to the drawing board and they get ready to go. And you probably see Gonzaga come out a little bit better because let's face it. I mean, Gonzaga played them pretty closely for the remainder of the game, but Baylor opened up the game. I think it was a 25 to eight run and they never looked back that early portion of the game. The first 12 to 13 minutes was really the difference in the game. They, they played them pretty close from that point out. I mean, there was never a doubt that Baylor was going to lose the game, but it was close from there on out. So, you know, I can and, agree yeah, with that narrative for once sure. They, once they got it down to under single digits in the second half, early in the second half, it was just like Baylor just turned it right back on again. Yeah. And it was, before you know it, it went from nine to sixteen all over again, and you could just see as Adam Fox just puts the seventh Ranger goal on the board. Well, now you better turn the Met game back. Well, on. I, I know. Brandon Nimmo's up with the bases I, loaded. I right just now. seen. I seen that. I I because I seen Fox scored. I said, let me see the replay, and then I see Nimmo, and I'm like, do I really want to watch a Nimmo up bat with the bases loaded? <laughs> so I tell you what, uh, just a, and it's an insane redemption story for Baylor, and it's not the first one you've heard from Baylor. Because Baylor was was at, I mean, they were just in ruin. The football program was a few well, years back. Distri- now, let me ask you a question. That, that coach, because I've seen a press conference with him, that coach has been in, what, since 2003? Is that is that a mistake? or No, he, he was hired, and he kind of tried to build the program up from the ground because uh, I think the guy's name was right, Dave Bliss. They were in Bliss. a shambles. Weren't they in a shambles? Yes. But they, they were they showing was, a press conference with that coach. Yes, what he, year was that from that he was that was that guy? That was like 2005, I think it was. He never just scored to make it 8-3. Jesus. Back yeah, that, that was bang. 2005 because back in 2003, one of the kids on Baylor's basketball team was murdered. And 
I'm re- I remember a teammate, that. I a remember teammate that. pled guilty, 35-year sentence for killing him. And then they did an extensive investigation into the murder and found a whole bunch of other infractions that the ba- Baylor basketball program was taking part in. And the whole entire program was just basically ripped to shreds. So many sanctions, and they were in ruin. And a similar thing happened with the football program not too long ago, and Matt Rule was able to build it back up. So the school has really redeemed itself from just being in the gutter to, to now really building themselves back up, being a perennial contender and, and you know following the rules. It's, it's tough to do. It's tough to rid yourself of that type of image when you do something so despicable. But listen – Coach Drew was able to do it, and, and they win a game that no one really thought that they could win. Everybody knew Baylor was a really good team, but you're talking about Gonzaga as one of the best college basketball teams in the past 25, 30 years. I mean, that's a, seri- that's a serious a serious comparison there. And Baylor, like I said, outclassed them in every facet. So it's just an unbelievable story for them. And like I said, I, 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 <laughs> I don't think Gonzaga is ever going to win. This was the year for them to do it. They this fell short a couple of years ago yeah. against UNC. They fall short again last night as Nimmo walks and uh, – Bases loaded walk brings home a run three to one right. Mets. You're a little ahead of me. So thanks for that information anyway. So <laughs> I don't have to sit here with the anxiety of watching Brandon Nimmo pop up a three, one pitch. I tell you, I, I was going to say this before the at bat started because <laughs> Velasquez has had some control issues. I was going to predict that Nimmo doesn't swing at a single pitch and he didn't. And he didn't, he didn't yeah. swing at a pitch. Well, I when mean, you have a, listen, when you have a pitcher on the mound that's zone, having but, trouble finding a right. strike zone, Nimmo right. is the last guy you want to face because right. he's not going to swing at anything that misses. Right. Well, Gerardi figures, you know what? We can give the, give the Mets five runs because once we get into their bullpen. Because <laughs> once Familia comes in the game, it's, we're good. It's because they all come in with gas cans. So what's the difference? <laughs> I, you know, it, it's it's like a guy with a, with a stuck truck on the side of the road and you have to go fill up the car with gas and you bring your gas can with you. I got a good idea, Rob. I got a really good idea, actually. Let's get to a fan question. Yeah, I know Ryan Briscoe has a fan question. First of all, he wants an apology, so you're not getting that, Ryan, because we weren't the ones that dismissed your Talkman the first base suggestion. That was uh, Bruce. You you did too. I well, I, I, I listen. I I really didn't. We got receipts. I didn't say much about it. I whatever. I think I think you did. I can't necessarily yeah? take a side there. You, I don't know if you meant to, but you sounded very dismissive. But I don't know. Here's what I'll say. Bruce had one take and you had a different take. So you kind of just said it very, very quickly. And it came off as dismissive because you were trying to bounce to it to a different topic. You know what I'm saying? So like it, it sounded like you were not that you were like shitting on the question, but you just moved on from the question very quickly. It, it was almost as if, yeah, that question's right, not worth right. my time. You know what, Ryan Briscoe, if I did, did, dude, if I did that to you, buddy, you know what? You gave me a follow a couple of weeks ago when you first joined Twitter. So I will say, if I did say it somehow, some way I was dismissive of, of it, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> You're not going to apologize. All that just to, just to, just to double down. Not only did he give you a know follow, what? but when he's you're, when you're on when you're on live radio, sometimes or live podcasting, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you don't. You can't apologize because you get it wrong sometimes. Do I sit there and I say, Ryan, well, give me credit for what I said about the Mets the other day. Give me credit for what I said about the Rangers the other day. I don't want credit for anything. When I'm right, I'm right. When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's it. No apologies and no accolades. How's that? That's it. That's the way we work on this podcast. So, right? tough, so toughen up, Buttercup. Yeah, toughen up, Ryan Briscoe, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Jesus, apologies. I don't apologize to my wife. <laughs> I was with Ryan the other day on Easter. 
Yeah, he seems like a good guy. One, one day we'll, we'll be in your yard. Maybe I'll apologize to him in person. Uh, I, I'd say it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I say you're right. <laughs> All right. Well, not only did he follow you on Twitter, the- he's also interacted with you. He told me that he DM'd you something, too. Well, about the apology. Oh, so that's what he DM'd you. Yes, about the – and it wasn't so much me. He goes, I'm still waiting. I thought it was more about – I said, well, I text – I said, well, text Bruce about that. I didn't really think I said anything that dismissive. I can't really – I gotta maybe go back into that podcast and think again. About I don't. What I, I don't said. think. I don't think what you said was dismissive. I think you you because said it. Bruce in a said it right way. away. Bruce said, "Oh yeah, that's what we're gonna do right now. Opening day, we're gonna all of a sudden switch Talkman over to first base." And he kind of said he went off. He went off on that a little bit. And I kind of listen. Did I agree with him? I could understand not wanting to switch a guy all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere. Else, you could just throw him at first base. I mean, look. I know Jay Bruce did it, actually. He really did do it, Jay Bruce. He kind of did it himself. But, I mean, look, let's let's see what happens if Talkman plays first base. Who knows? All right, so but he's got two he, questions. He's got one for um, the golf, right? About one the golf. golf. I'm going to leave that to you because I'm not a golf guy. But the first question is on Deshaun Watson. He says, based on all these allegations against Deshaun Watson, what are your opinions on where his NFL career may go from here? Well, uh, look, I mean, you see what happened today? I mean, I tell you what, a couple of those women that did come out, they were – you know, they they had credibility. These were well, just- listen. You want to talk about dismissive? I'll be yeah. dismissive right now. A good question warrants some discussion. But Francisco Lindor's up with the bases loaded right now, so I want to I want to watch that first, and we'll get back to the question. I, I, I got I got it on. So I'm if you want to talk right about now, being but- dismissive, that's dismissive, and I won't well, apologize for that. <laughs> but you know, so Deshaun Watson right now is, you know, and and the, the worst thing about it for Deshaun Watson now is you have a criminal case now that's opened up. So the Houston Police Department is directly involved in this right now, investigating this. So he he's got some issues, and and they're talking about sex sex trafficking charges as well. But I don't think it's to the point where he's directly involved with moving women all over the country and you know uh, uh, um, selling women for sex. I don't think it's that. I think he's got some weird sex fetishes, and Lindor just got a hold of one. Get over his head. Get leg. No. All right. Sack fly. Sacrifice fly. We'll take it. I Paul's, saw it before you, I but you, I didn't want to ruin it. The ball's not the ball's not carrying in Philadelphia. I don't no, know if it's, it's the ball itself, but I mean, last night was an extreme wind coming in. But anyway, so I mean, look, as far as his career, how do you know? We don't know how this is going to play out, but I do. I do think what's going to happen is he's going to pay these women off, and then what's going to happen is Houston PD department will be involved even more because there's the payoff involved now, right? Yeah, there'll be a settlement. Yeah, there'll, there'll be yeah, there'll be some sort of a settlement. But then the NFL is going to get directly involved in this. So look, I, I'll be honest I tell you, with well, you, one thing that's one thing that's really strange to me is that in the very beginning, the lawyer had asked for a settlement. He 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 submitted a settlement claim to Watson, and Watson right away turned it down and said, "I'm not giving anything of monetary value because I'm innocent." And he had the opportunity to do a settlement, and he didn't. And now there's 21 different cases against him. So, you know what, Andrew, that there's five million people in jail that all say they're innocent. <laughs> so, you know, right, you know. but you know what? I, when it, know. When it, I mean, look, I'm not Andrew, absolving people of crimes, but I think the prudent thing to do would just be to pay one person off instead of opening up a can of worms. And, and next thing you know, you have 21 different people coming out accusing you of something. I, I think that can would have opened up, and I think all the worms would have came out anyway. I don't think it would have mattered because once – even if he just paid off that one, there would have been others coming. Once they seen a payoff to one, there would have been more coming. So look, there's 20, 22 of them, whatever you got now. Uh, 
look, I mean, well, the, the weirdest they, part they about they the even whole have thing. a letter. There's some sort of a letter that a therapist had written to one of that that the, that she told one of the women to write a letter to Deshaun Watson prior to all these allegations coming out, explaining to him exactly what he did to hurt her. Yeah. So they have that coming out. You know, well, his, so his reputation just, is going to be tarnished no matter what, because he's already, problem. I mean, I'm on all over social media and a lot of people are like making fun of him because not only do you have 21 people and it's a stolen base, wild throw and Pilar comes into score. So it's now five, one Mets. Um, not only do you have 21 people accusing him, but now you have 18 massage therapists that are coming out and defending him. So you telling yeah. me that this guy in the past year has got the 39 different massage therapists. That's, that's, it's strange to me. It's well, a strange thing. That, that's why I'm saying he probably had some sort of a weird fetish or something, something, right. Something was going on there. Maybe these other 18 women, you know, took a liking to him and, you know, he gave him a lot of money. Who the hell knows? You don't but, know. But you know if what? you want me to give you a, if you want me, want me to give you a definite Ryan, I could tell you one thing I know for sure. He's untradeable. <laughs> that's He's, he's untradeable now. Uh, he's you can't, I, I would touch him a 35-foot pole. And he's probably, look, depending upon where this goes, and look, far be it from us to speculate. Nobody knows exactly what, you know, what all the evidence is or, you know, what's out there and what's not out there. You got to just let the process play out. That's it. But, yeah, he is untradeable. And the problem is, here's one thing we could say de de definitively, that if he starts making payoffs, and he probably will start making payoffs, Again, the investigation is going to get even hotter on him. So that's an that's RBI knock for Conforto, right there. That's what's going to happen. Well, finally, I know Conforto had to come around a little bit, but uh, he's had a few opportunities. So, you know, yeah, that, that it's it's amazing how this went from him being traded. All these teams may be lining up to trade for him. The Texans looking for all this draft capital. And yeah, a trading a historical four, four draft is Historical trade for him. And, and a week later, he's untouchable. Him, the Dolphins wanting him, and all of a sudden, it comes to this now. Yeah, it's crazy how the That's tide crazy. is turned. But hey, listen, you got, again, you got to let the uh, the process play out. But, you know, as far as, you know, as far as the masses look, I mean, you know, certain golf courses are made for certain guys. And, um. You, you know, you have a lot of these younger guys that are all of a sudden coming on now. I mean, geez, Colin Makawa, I'm trying to re pronounce that guy's name. Morikawa. Tough one to pronounce. Morikawa. Yeah, I'm not guy. a golf Max guy, but Ohm. I knew that one. Max Holm. No, I am. I am a golf, bit of a golf. Max Ohm is another guy. You know, of course, you got your Dustin Johnsons out there. One guy who's not going to win, is I'm going to tell you right now, is John Rahm, because John Rahm will never win a major. Somehow, some way, that guy is one of the best golfers in the world that'll never win a major. You know, he, look, Sergio Garcia finally won one. Ricky Fowler's never won, won one. You know, whatever happened to Jason Day? Who knows what happened to Jason Day? Brooks Kepka amazingly is like 29 to one, I think, or something, right? I think I've I was going to I was going to say that's my pick because I saw last night he's coming back off a knee surgery. This is the first tournament he's playing since the surgery. Yeah, so, so that was going to that was going to be my sleeper pick. Just I know some, nothing about golf. You're getting so big pick. value on him. And now all of a sudden, Jason Spieth finally won a tournament last week by winning the uh, the Texas Valero Open. And uh, now all of a sudden, people are talking about Jordan Spieth being in the game. So who knows? I think it's the first win for Spieth since 2017, if I'm not mistaken, which for a kid of his talent and the way he started off, it's amazing the fall from grace that that kid had. Amazing. First tournament just, or first major? No, you know, that, Texas Valero is not a major. Yeah, yeah. No, he won the first tournament since 2017. Wow. Tournament. So, 
you know, it's for a kid with that sort of talent level, the way he started out in his career, boy, it's surprising. So look, you know, everybody's looking forward to the Masters. Who I think is going to win? Look, you always got to look at the guys that have won in the past, like the Bubba Watsons of the world, you know, and as much as Bubba, there are just certain courses that are made for certain guys. You know, certain courses have wide open fairways. Certain courses have, uh, you know, tighter fairways. Certain courses are, are for guys that could grip it and just rip it. Certain courses are for guys that could just play their irons well, who are great putters. How are the greens going to play that day? So we'll see. It's the best analysis I can give you, Ryan. And you're still if, not getting an apology. And if you don't like it, I'm not going to ask for an apology. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's time for the uh, the Mets bullpen to try to close this thing out. 6-1 lead going into the seventh. Stroman's night is done. It looks like it's going to be Miguel Castro, I guess, coming on for the uh, It's amazing, too. Inning. The Mets have six runs and three hits. Yeah. Well, six listen. runs and – and the Phillies didn't even make an error. When the pitchers can't throw strikes, that's what happens. There you go. Just Walks come yeah. back to haunt you. And, and, and here's where the Mets bullpen just has to come in and throw strikes. Just throw strikes. That's yeah, it. You, well, you saw the team you're playing. You see what happens when you don't throw strikes. Right. Just throw strikes. So I mean, the leadoff walk we'll to New York, like the Rangers, leadoff walk always comes back to, to haunt you. The, the Rangers will have a win under that belt, eight, you know, 8-3. Right now, they're leading Pittsburgh, but the Rangers are still still tough road ahead because they still, you know, the Bruins have still have those three games in hand. Rangers blew a game to Buffalo the other night, which was just And the Bruins, the Bruins are up 3-2 on the Flyers with five yeah. minutes left right now. So, you know, the Bruins, listen, the Bruins are still a good team. I know they've been having problems over the last 20 games, but you know, they have enough of a cushion on us right now. It's going to be tough. We're going to need them to lose a couple of games, and we got to pick up some points here. So we'll see. The Knicks had a tough loss last night to the Nets after James Harden, who now, after Durant looks like he's coming back on Wednesday, now it's Harden who's going to be out probably for at least two weeks with a strained hamstring. So they cannot get this big three together. And you got to wonder what this is going to look like in the playoffs for them with these three guys not really having a lot of games under their belt, especially playing together. I mean, Kyrie Irving basically led that team last night on his own. He had 40 points, and Nick squandered a big lead. You know, this is what happens when you don't have consistent shooting. And with Kyrie Irving on the bench in the third quarter, the Knicks went from a 10-point lead to a five-point deficit, which should never happen with Kyrie Irving on the bench because the Nets had nothing else out there except for Joe Harris. I mean, really, you know, the rest of the guys were just role players, so – We'll see. You know, hopefully the Knicks at least secure its playoff spot. So that would be good. And we'll see what happens with the Rangers and the Mets. Uh, let's see if they can K two out of three from Philly. That's it. And what are we going to do? I mean, hopefully well, we gotta, let's just lock needs up, to close it out. Lock up, lock this, up, this, lock up and, this one. I tell you what, after last Who night, you, boarding last Castro night was again, so, huh? yeah, Castro is going to pitch the seventh inning. I'd imagine May is unavailable. So, um, who pitches the eighth inning? That's a good question. I think it depends. if the offense top tax on any more runs, you probably Familiar, stay away from Diaz. Well, um, you can't. Yeah, I wouldn't. No, I, yeah, I wouldn't give Diaz a six-out save at all. No, not a six-out save, but I, I wouldn't even have him pitch the ninth if you extend the lead, unless you oh, really no. want to get him work. Well, you might get him work, but you always hate when that closer comes in with a big lead. Yeah, just, because uh, then you know, you know tomorrow it'll be a two-to-one game, and Diaz will be unavailable, and it'll there's no sense in doing it. Just yeah. don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. I wouldn't do it at all. So well, now you got Castro working back-to-back days now with a six-to-one lead. I'm surprised they didn't go with someone like maybe. Uh, Maybe Gazelman. Remember, you got Lucchese in the bullpen, too, because of the off days and everything. They're not going with the fifth spot in the rotation the first time through. So you have Giz, uh, you have Lucchese as that stretch man. Maybe have him throw an inning if today is a, is a bullpen day for him. They just showed the camera in the bullpen, and Lucchese seems to be moving around a little bit. So 
maybe they go the route of that and have him come in and maybe get the last six outs, stretch well, him out a little just, bit, multiple let, innings. Let's save get out of else. this. Let's get out of this inning unscathed. That's the big thing. Get out of sitting unscathed. So well, I'll tell you this much: after last night's disgusting loss, if they're able to close this out, I think it everyone's concern over this bullpen maybe subsides a little bit. Not that not that the overreaction wasn't warranted because it was disgusting the fashion in which it happened, but a bounce back tonight and, and a good showing from the bullpen to get the last night's nine outs would uh, I think reassure everyone a little bit more moving forward. So, uh, but that'll do it for uh, episode fifty-four. Did a lot of football, did some basketball, did some baseball. Uh, had DJ on again, huge shout out to him for popping on. And anybody, again, anybody wants to give him a follow on Twitter, DJ Shrum2. That's DJ S C H R U M2 on a Twitter name, budget underscore breaks, STL breaks almost every night. So, um, like I said before, don't necessarily have to get right into it right away if, if you've never done any of that before or uh, don't really know much about it. Just pop your head in, see what everything is like. You can interact with everyone, see how everything goes down. And, and maybe it is something that, uh, that piques your interest. So shout out to him for coming on. He'll plug the podcast and uh, we've been plugging him. So um, shout out to him yes. for the success he's having with that little business. Um, you could, you could follow Rob on Twitter at Rob OG six. Uh, it's two B's R O B B O G six. You follow me on Twitter, Andrew may underscore 21. That's again, it's Andrew again. Now I get, I'm, I'm confusing myself. I have to find out what my Twitter account is. Is it Andrew underscore may 21 or is it Andrew may yeah. underscore 21? Well, you got an Instagram account too, probably. That's why Andrew so May confused. underscore twenty one. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble with this recently. I mean, Andrew yeah. May underscore getting a little 21. older. You're getting a little senile. So. Oh, you know what? You want to start with that. You're the last person who wants to start bringing age into the equation. Got to Got to. I got to get my shots in while I can. And the Yankees, uh, you know, the Yankees just in time. Jay Bruce hit a home run today, and the Yankees just in time get the Orioles just to put them back right back on track again. So I said they won tonight seven to two and. Garrett Cole had a tremendous game, seven innings, four hits, 13 strikeouts. So. <laughs> you want to laugh at this tweet, by the way? One of your favorites. Uh, Mike Puma, New York Post uh, Mets beat reporter. He's got a book coming out, and he just tweeted three minutes ago. Uh, Eric Campbell is mentioned in his upcoming book. This is a tweet. Eric Campbell, by the way, is mentioned in my upcoming book. Sandy Alderson says the Mets kept him around because of his exit velocity, but at the time, because it wasn't too analytically driven, they didn't realize that he had a quote-unquote negative launch angle. <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. Oh, my God. That's funny. That's sad. <laughs> it's funny and sad and it's pathetic, sad. but whatever. We can laugh about it now because he's not here anymore. Thank and God. A, him and Ty excitement surrounding never the again. Now. And not a bunch of bums. By the way, uh, speaking of former Mets, have you been uh, a follower of um, former Mets pitcher watch over the uh, first week of the season here? Have you been uh, keeping no, tabs on how former Mets pitchers have been doing? So Stephen Matz oh, yeah, threw well, flexing, uh, not, yeah. Fle- yeah, flexing through five scoreless with the yeah, Mariners. Flexing, Matz went six Matz third of one run ball yeah. yesterday. Um who Wheeler. Else Zach Wheeler. Wheeler, seven scoreless yeah. innings, 10 strikeouts. Well, he was a guy that got away, Wheeler. He was, you know, right. if Steve Cohn owned the team, Wheeler never walks out that door. I mean, that was the big one that got away. There was no way Wheeler should have never not been signed. Uh, I mean, never, never. And the way so, that whole situation was handled, how Brody Van Wagner comes out to the media and basically shits all over Wheeler and says, yeah. oh, yeah, congrats. Terrible. He parlayed one good half a season into $150 million. Terrible. Like, are you kidding me? Terrible. And all of that, it, it compounds the problem and he goes to the Phillies. So that made it even worse. 
Yeah, well, at least we don't have to face him in this series because he'd be uh, – it wouldn't be former Mets pitcher watch. It'd be perfect game watch because he's probably well, shut Castro gets the first two guys out in the inning. So, all right, good yeah, sign. Looking good. Good start. Good so all right, so good. Wrap all right, up. so Andrew May underscore 21. On Instagram, A underscore May 21. You can follow Rob on Twitter, at RobOG6. Uh, again, we are recording. It is April 6th. It's a Tuesday. Episode will be published tomorrow, April 7th at noon, like it always is. Um, links will be available, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast. You can find the links on our social media handles. Uh, so give us a follow. Uh, submit your fan questions for next week if you want to get them in. Uh, fourscore the podcast at gmail.com. I know some people text them to me too. If you have my number, shoot me a text. We'll get to your question. As long as you submit them, we will get to them. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening. Thanks everybody for their continued support. We will be back next week to break down uh, anything else that comes our way and, uh, and another full week of baseball. So uh, for Rob Giffray, I'm Andrew May. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you guys again next week. <laughs>